Good Monday to you, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Just a wild weekend of college football. We'll chat with Brooks Austin of Dogs Daily uh, on SI.com. Coming up here in hour number one, looking at uh, Georgia domination yet again. Also, D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, uh, will join us. Falcons, well, not domination yet again uh, for the ATL. And then we'll look at uh, Jake Roots joining us, Dogs HQ on on three. Uh, joining us here in the final hour of the program, we'll look at Georgia. Obviously, Georgia and Auburn coming up this weekend in SEC play. But, Ben, what a wild weekend in college football. I mean, you really could say a wild weekend in just the SEC because a lot of uh, crazy stuff happened. But Stanford tying Oregon on an untimed down at the end of the game and then wins in overtime. Cincinnati beating Notre Dame. I don't mean winning. They beat Notre Dame uh, at Notre Dame. Auburn beats LSU in Death Valley for the first time in 20-some-odd years. Kentucky beats Florida at home in Lexington for the first time in forever. We talked uh, last last week, I think it was, uh, was it Craig East? Who, I'm trying to think who it was who joined us last week. They, they never win at home against Florida. Finally got it done. And just things are up topsy-turvy uh, underneath Georgia and Alabama. But let's start there, Ben. I know not one you wanted to, to, to see, but Kentucky beats Florida. Not necessarily news because people thought Kentucky was better this year. Florida thought was good, but not something that I think was just unheard of happening. But Florida beat them in every aspect of the game except the scoreboard. Something to be said for that if you're Kentucky of just finding a way to win even when you do not play well against a team like Florida. Yeah, Florida, I mean, Kentucky just made more plays when it mattered. I mean, you mentioned our Florida were out getting Kentucky 30, 30, 382 yards or 224 yards, one at the time of possession by almost 13 minutes. But 15 penalties for 115 yards, Kevin, going to be a big reason why you know a team stays into a game by two. Uh, the defense, which which played incredible again for Florida, got to find a way to tackle better, you know, an open field tackle on those screens. And – you know, I always say special teams, touchdowns, usually usually benefits one team and hurts another. A, a, a block field goal for a touchdown is something that's hard to overcome. But the biggest head scratcher coming out of that game was time management. You had three timeouts with the ball in your hand going before halftime in Florida. You didn't use none of the timeouts. You did, You walked away with no points. So you asked yourself, you know, why is that the case? Anthony Richardson was on the – he was on – he was at the game. They kept showing him. It's like Tom Brady and – Freaking Bill Belichick, they kept showing him. <laughs> young man, young, young man didn't end the game though. And you know, a lot of these games do be hand scratches. You got to ask yourself one thing about Dan Mullen: Is he a good coach, not a great coach? Because he's good enough to, you know, go to three straight uh, New Year's Six bowls, uh, go back to back New Year's Six bowls wins with an Orange Bowl uh, and a Sugar Bowl. I mean, uh, to start. I mean, I, I mean, a Peach Bowl and uh, you know, in uh, an Orange Bowl to start off his career, but. Hasn't done well against top ten teams. Won one in at one, one one uh, SEC East. Played Alabama well both times. They played them both in the regular season this year in the SEC championship last year. But when you lose to a team like Kentucky, who did not throw the football well, who did not have a good get, good game on offense, and you you it's, it it is a head scratcher, uh, Kevin. But you start asking yourself. You know, Dan Mullen is the solution, but he could also be the problem when you're looking at the fact that you got a guy named Anthony Richardson on the sideline who definitely could provide a spark for the entire team, not just the offense. But you give a lot of credit to this Kentucky team. They're always going to be considered a basketball school, always scratching and clawing 
for every single thing they get, but they play five teams. They beat all five. And dare I say, right now, Kentucky is ranked in the top 10 and 5-0, and oh, and they're doing it in an impressive fashion. So I'm not I'm not, you know, going to come on here and make excuses for Florida. Look, they lost the game. And if you Dan Muller, you start saying to yourself, if you're not the greatest recruiter, if, you, if you're great at developing talent, but you ain't putting the best players on the field in crunch time, you got to start asking yourself, man, like what is really going on? But, hey, uh, congrats to those Wildcats, man, because if you are a Kentucky Wildcat, you get sick of hearing about not being able to beat Florida. And that game on Sunday night, I mean, Saturday night, Kevin, kind of goes back to when I played in Florida with Kentucky. It's not like they, they don't be in games. Florida usually just finds a way to win them. Well, that that wasn't the case. And dare I say now, Florida's got a tough a, a up, a uphill battle ahead of them with teams like, you know, LSU and Georgia coming down the pike. But, hey, man, for one night with them, them Kentucky them, – the Kentucky faithful, they was having themselves a day, man. Those fans, they might still be celebrating right now. Yeah, and again, a, a big win there, as you said, for Kentucky, who now, given the way things have transpired, kind of looks like the number two team in the East right now uh, behind Georgia. We'll get to Georgia and Alabama, who just continue to dominate uh, coming up in just a little bit. But Auburn, where are we at here with Auburn? They go into to the Death Valley, they beat LSU, beat them at night, get the win, and a lot of people are saying, okay, maybe Auburn is legitimate. Maybe Auburn is better than maybe some people thought. They got off to a hot start and said, eh. They played some teams they were supposed to beat. Lost to Penn State, but played in a valiant effort. Then they said, okay, now the meat of the SEC schedule is going to start to come. Got a big one there over LSU this past weekend. Gibbo Nick's a lot of credit. Played really, really uh, well this weekend. And I know Kevin coming off a benching uh, the week before, people saying, you know what? What kind of Bo Nix are we going to see? I mean, I mean, I don't know what it is by late game heroics uh, for uh, for Bo Nix. Two touchdowns in the fourth quarter on the road in Death Valley, which is still a very, very hard place to go in and win. And give a lot of credit to Bo Nix. I mean, he's an up and down player. I mean, he's consistent at being inconsistent, but when he is at his best, I don't know if there's anybody better, especially with those late game heroics. But I think Auburn and LSU find themselves in a similar boat. I mean, Auburn having a brand new coach in LSU with Coach O, not really understanding what type of they, they kind of go kind of go through those ebbs and flows. But give Auburn a lot of credit. Everybody knew that Alabama was going to be the cream, the creme de la creme in the West. Who was going to be that number two team? Well, Texas A&M has lost back to back weeks. You know, uh, you know, Arkansas, Mississippi State with Jimbo Fisher talking trash. Ole Miss, I mean, I think all that hype, every every piece of wind has been taken out of their cell because of what happened against Alabama. Uh, LSU, people thought that maybe 2020 was just an anomaly because they lost all the players, uh, you know, Kevin, to the draft. And here's Auburn, new head coach, new offensive corner, new defensive coordinator. And while they played well enough against Penn State, had an off week last week, finally, you know, found a way to get a big win at LSU, which haven't happened, I don't think, in a decade uh, for them Auburn Tigers. So the, the Tigers definitely won. It just wasn't the Tigers most people thought would win. Happened to be those boys for Auburn. So shout out to Bo Nix, man, for finding a way to get it done. In the fourth quarter. Yeah, unbelievable ball game there. And then, as you mentioned in that last uh, statement, there have been Texas A&M losing to Mississippi State. Mississippi State ran the ball for 30 yards. 30 yards. Threw for over 400. Their quarterback threw 59 times against Texas A&M. I know it's the, uh, the air raid of Mike Leach, but you say, hey, Mississippi State throws the ball 59 times. That could be a problem. No. It wasn't 46 or 59, and they pull off a big upset of Texas A&M, who, as you said, is now staring directly down the face of three losses in a row because they've got Alabama this weekend, and it certainly doesn't look good if you're Texas A&M right now. 
Jimbo Fisher. Wow. I think he got a contract extension in the offseason. Uh, talk, you know, writing a lot of checks uh, to old uh, St. Nick coming out of Tuscaloosa. Talking about we're going you know, to kick that you-know-what. But I don't know. Haynes King goes down for Texas and them haven't been the same team. You know, they had an explosive offense. I mean, they could definitely run the football, throw the football. Defense hasn't been playing as good as they have in the past. Mississippi State, uh, Kevin, they're going to win and lose their way. If Mississippi State wins, it's because they was able to throw the football. And if they lose, it's because they threw the football too much. But, but Mike Leach is saying, look, man, I was here to bring the air raid. Win, lose, or draw, that's what I'm going to do. And – it's hard to be. It's hard when you going going into a going into a game knowing that we got to stop the pass. They could not stop it. I mean, I don't know what Will Rogers' uses rate is, but if he was a pitcher, I mean, his pitch count is different. Hey man, we're gonna let you get you know what seventy throws this game. We're gonna try to let you get seventy throws. If we don't make it to seventy, we will you know make up for it the week the week after. But no, I give I give Mississippi State a lot of credit, Kevin, because once again Mississippi State is trying to be one of those teams to get the six wins every year. Nobody expect them to compete for the West, win the West, but can they scare teams? Yep. Texas m is supposed to be a better team in the SEC this year. Well, that was preseason. Then the regular season comes, you got to start actually playing football, and then the real Texas m is showing up. Back-to-back weeks, Arkansas last week, Mississippi State this week, Texas m they, they probably they probably out of it as far as, like, winning the West because Alabama, if they do lose, they're not going to lose again. And I thought that Ole Miss would give up, you know, give them more of a fight. But, yeah, the curious case of Texas m and the curious case of Jimbo Fisher – will continue to be a head scratcher, but for, but for another week, Mike Leach and Will Rogers in that air raid finds a way to make himself uh, get a big dub in the SEC West. Oh, yeah, and again, give a lot of credit there to Mike Leach and, uh, and company uh, for going out and getting a win over what many thought might have been the third best team. I mean, remember, Texas A&M preseason number 5-6 in the country outside looking in at a playoff spot, and people said, hey, could come down to how they play against Alabama to get them in two losses, looking at three already uh, well they're not going anywhere anytime soon uh as as well so you look around the sec one more to talk about before we get to uh been the the two dominating wins over the weekend cincinnati and i know we're not talking about it cincinnati going to notre dame notre dame's look shaky at times here struggled to put florida state away who was obviously not a good football team just got their first win over the weekend struggled the week after florida state got a win in the last couple minutes and now lost to Cincinnati, a good team, but lost and lost soundly to Cincinnati. And first thing I hear from the Monday morning talking heads, oh, the SEC is going to have two teams in the playoffs. Big Ten could have two teams in the playoffs, and that's it. And you're going, Did, didn't Cincinnati just beat one of the supposed top handful of teams in the country out there and beat them pretty nicely as well? So I think you're already seeing the system starting to work against Cincinnati, but they put themselves in a position to at least be in the discussion if they continue to win out. Desmond Ritter in that offense uh, for Cincinnati is uh, very, very impressive right now. Coming off of, I mean, look, it, it kind of goes back to the uh, to the Peach Bowl last year against Georgia. If Georgia's if Georgia's kicker don't got like a freaking cannon in his leg, they, <laughs> you know, that game probably, that game probably goes another way. But Desmond Ritter is one of those quarterbacks, Kevin, that was talked about preseason. I know, I mean, he might not be in the same realm of a Spencer Rattler or 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 Sam Howell over those guys, but he but he's tier two and he's definitely has first round grade written all over him. And when you do it, the, the manner in which they did it because when you look at Cincinnati's schedule, they running the gun. They got some big time games with this one was supposed to be in the biggest one. Now they got no listen, they handled Notre Dame. I know Coach Kelly, he might be the winningest all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame history. It didn't look he didn't add to that win total on Saturday. So give, give getting them Cincinnati Bearcats a lot of credit with 
But they, they got two bookend corners. They got an incredible defense. They got a young, they got a young man at DM, you know, from, from my neck of the wood from Camden County who might find himself, you know, uh, you know, being a set first or second round pick. But Desmond Ritter, remember the name, quarterback for the Cincinnati Bearcats. The young man is a dual threat with a big arm. And go back to if you want to get uh proof, go back to the uh you know, uh, to the uh, Peach Bowl last year, you know, uh, when he played against Georgia. But, yes, Kevin, Cincinnati, I think they got something to say about having two from the Big Ten and two from the, uh, from the SEC. Don't don't count your chickens just yet. Yeah, just a wild weekend of college football. What wasn't wild were the supposed two biggest matchups of the weekend in the SEC. Georgia-Arkansas, dud from the beginning, and Bama-Ole Miss, dud from the beginning. Those games were exciting for about five minutes. If you are a nonpartisan fan, uh, just watching uh, college football, they 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 were over as soon as they got started, and the top two teams in the country continue to dominate. We'll break it down when we come back. It's certain radio network. We'll chat with Brooks Austin of Dogs Daily on SI coming up in just a little bit after a dominating performance this weekend. And uh, Ben, there's no doubt who the top two teams in the league are, and probably the top two teams in the country right now is Georgia, just all over Arkansas in a game that was not even really all that close. Christian saying, hey, Arkansas is the, the, the official team of three and out because that's all they did on Saturday. It was pretty close. Seven out of ten drives, three and out, kicked the football uh, back to Georgia. Not ever really a ball game. And, and we had a question last week, who's going to be in a different spot four weeks from now? I said Arkansas the other way. Uh, after they're done, I think that's kind of the start of the slide because they still got to play Bama. They still got some tough games out there. I don't think they're going to keep it up. I don't believe Arkansas is going to remain a top-10 team uh, in the country like they were stated coming into last week, much like I think Kentucky, who's going to be in the top-10, probably not going to stay there very long uh, either due to the schedule. But Georgia, again, with defensive prowess, wins the day. Offensively, Stetson Bennett completed seven passes. They really threw 11. I didn't really have to do much there. Didn't really – have to do much offensively because the game was out of hand so quickly. Yeah, and whew, Georgia, that defense, I mean, about as impressive as I've seen in a long time. And obviously I had the pleasure of playing against uh, that Georgia, uh, you know, defense back in the day. They seem to only get better uh, year in and year out, you know, under Kirby Smart. But, I mean, Kevin, I think you said it. I mean, what, JT Daniels came out? You know, saw the, you know, kind of felt was it hot or cold? What am I gonna wear? Am I gonna wear a t-shirt or am I gonna wear a long <laughs> sleeve? Go back in and say I think we got it because the thing is we're not we we're not giving. I don't think we're giving this Georgia defense enough credit. I mean, you know how hard it is to keep a team out of the end zone when they can kick field goals. You know how hard it is to keep a team out of the end zone for four quarters, and the way in which they do it. I mean, you send me. I mean, that front seven is about as good as it gets. I mean, Traylon Burke. I mean, he wasn't even a factor all day long. KJ Jefferson was like, what? It's going on. Sam Pittman, yeah, I know you I know you seen Coach Landing in that defense when you was at Georgia, but it's like Nick Saban when you leave. Just because you know my tendencies don't mean you know all of them. And it's one thing to go up against me every day to get better. It's another thing to try to move the ball against me to win a game. So yes, Georgia is about as good as it gets. And when you look at the offensive, I guess like identity, I mean, Kevin, it's working. I mean, look, we're gonna run the football by committee. We're gonna throw the football if we have to. And we're, going to, and we're going to move the chains. We're going to get plenty of opportunities because that opposing offense is not going to move the ball. The opposing offense won't even get more than three downs to be on the field, which means we're going to get a chance to work on our offense. And Stetson Bennett, I will say this. People are going to say, oh, he didn't have to do much. What if he didn't have to? What if he didn't have a Stetson Bennett to be able to go in there and fill in for a JT Daniels and know I got the full slate of the entire offense and I know the thing top to bottom. So, yeah, Georgia once again put on a defensive clinic. That is a clinic. 
I mean, all phases of the game, first down, second down, third down. It wasn't no second and long, third and long. They finna get off the field. So, yeah, Georgia, uh, you know, Kevin is about as good as I've seen him in a while. I don't – right now I have no problems with the offense because it's working based off the teams they're playing. But if they do meet a team with an offense that can move the ball and, the, and dare I say, Georgia finds himself in a hole, is that offense built to get them out of the hole? But as long as the defense playing like that – it's like the old adage of football. The other team can't score, they can't beat you. As long as you don't beat yourself, Georgia look, they look like the the, the clear number two team and, and number one team in certain people's eyes, depending on who you ask it. But yeah, Georgia, I mean that it was it was ugly from the opening kickoff. Yeah, I was going to say, you look at uh, the way Georgia played, and uh, that was going to be a, a big test. College game day was there. It wasn't a test. Alabama, Ole Miss. Oh, Lane Kiffin's coming back to play, uh, you know, Nick Saban is the the, the, the prodigy and all this kind of stuff. And Ole Miss might actually be able to put together an offensive game plan. And they didn't even score till till it was already way too late. 35 to nothing at one point, 42 to 7 in the fourth quarter. That one never close, never, never interesting, never had a chance to, uh, to have an upset written all over it. It was more Alabama, more of the same, dominating Brian Robinson, 171 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. The end, game over. <laughs> ah. I mean, Kevin. I mean, when we when we when we start breaking when we start breaking down, you know how well like you know a Georgia or Alabama plays, right? What scares you about them is how similar they look. Like Georgia may have a better defense than Alabama. Alabama definitely has a better offense than Georgia, but they are clear cut the two best teams in college football, and they on a crash course in Atlanta. Now, the thing about Nick Saban that, that he don't get enough credit for is when I have a full year to know what you do and don't do. Like this thing, okay. They obviously, unless something catastrophic happens or Nick Saban say, I don't want to go to Atlanta this year. I'm going a, I'm to a let <laughs> Auburn go. I don't really want to go. They, it's, it, it, it comes down to the, it's a game of strategy. It's a game, you know, I mean, it's a game of being able to, you know, win these matchups. Georgia thus far has not been tested. But either people go, Alabama gave up 21 points. Did they? That game was over with. Like, it's forty. It's forty-two or whatever. Forty-one to seven in the in the fourth. That game is over. That was just a save phase. That's that's what people who watch the box score and don't watch the game. But I will say this, Kevin. I mean, when you think about these two teams and what they do well, they do not beat themselves. They just don't. And you know, I, I mean, you stand a minute. I, I I just threw the ball eleven times. You know, I completed seven of them. I really didn't have to do that. We just did that because we got a bunch of receivers, but. Yeah, Kevin, for another weekend, the class of the SEC is still Alabama. But that team that, you know, Kirby Smart wants to be that guy to not just beat Alabama, but win it, bring another national championship to Athens, which that's a tall task when you look at, you know, looking at four down the road. But for another weekend, Kevin, if you got if you still got to play Georgia, good luck. And if, and if this was the year to be Alabama, yeah, you notice that narrative is going away as well. Ain't nobody really saying that no more right now. Yeah, and you got Georgia-Auburn this weekend uh, coming up, Alabama-Texas A&M. So, again, what we thought were going to be two just really good matchups, Georgia-Auburn might be, but uh, this Georgia team looks like they're not going to let anybody do anything on them defensively. I don't know how inter- interesting that one's going to be at Texas A&M after two losses in a row. I think the bloom is off that rose, at least in a big game matchup against Alabama. But, you know, Lane Kiffin heard a lot of people question him on the fourth down calls. The only thing I'll say is, is look, I understand the train of thought. It's Alabama, especially early. They were down there inside, uh, the, I think, the 10 or the 5 and had a fourth and goal, and they went for it and got stuffed. And at the time when I saw it, I was like, you know what? 
I know you want to be aggressive, but I think just for some positive vibes, you take the points while you're down there, right? Early in the game, even if it's three, hey, we scored, fine. It might have still been 35-3 to at some point, but you take the points while you can get them. And I think Lane, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, said, look, this is Alabama. I was here. I coached here. I've watched Alabama play people for years. You can't kick field goals and expect to beat Alabama. I'm going for touchdowns early to try to keep the pressure on them. And it didn't work. You know, and there's a couple different ways to look at it, Ben. I don't know how you kind of look at it, but I understand as much heat as he's getting for not taking points, looking at the situation saying, look, it's Alabama. We need to be in the end zone if we're right here. We need to try to get there. And it didn't work. You got stuff big time. But I, I understand the line of thinking there by, by Lane Kiffin. Uh, no, I, I understand as well, Kevin. I mean, he's being aggressive, right? But you're going up against a team that understands uh, situations. Like, the, be- the best teams in football, they're better at situational football. Like, they understand, like, okay, Lane, like, we're ready. Like, they say that practice in Alabama is harder in the game. You put so much pressure. On, like, they say, oh, man, all right, it's first and goal on the two-yard going in. You guys got to keep them out of the end zone. That's how Alabama practices. And they're going up against an offense that's led by Bright. You know what I'm saying? That, I mean, uh, Young and those guys. Then you add Brian Robinson and those guys. And all Americans all crossing the offensive line. So if you are Alabama, you're thinking, look, once again, this is the blueprint for us. <clears throat> we never said we can't be beat. We never said you can't move the ball on us. But if you make a mistake, we are going to capitalize. And that's the thing. It's, hey, man, trying to fit the ball in when it's the first quarter. I get it. But if you, but if it's a pick. Well, if it's turnover on down, that turns into points. So, like you said, Kevin, that's a four-point swing. If I don't get the first, if I don't get the uh, touchdown, at least I could have kicked the field goal. Now you get zero. Okay, now we got nothing from it. And how many opportunities are we going to have when our offense is this far on in, in the Alabama territory? So I do understand the strategy, but the thing about Alabama is, what about halftime adjustments? What about when they go up by fourteen? Not if. When they go, so then, because Alabama game plan is, man, once we go about 14, 21, it might as well be 100. We're not going to let you back in the game. We're going to bludgeon you. We're going to force you to make hard throws. We're going to force you to do things you don't do well. And if you can do them, you bet the last name better be Manziel or Tebow, you know, or <laughs> Kelly, because these are the only people, or, or, or Burrow, look, or, 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 you know, or Trevor or Lawrence. Look at the guys that's beat them. All time great quarterbacks have beat Alabama, not quarterback. Well, Bo Nix ain't all time great. <laughs> Let me not say that, but hey, man, it's it's Alabama. It's a strategy. It's it's a situation of football. It's what they do. And outside of a team in Athens, I don't see nobody that could even you know stay on the field with it. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, yeah, I think they're on a crash course right now. And again, college football is week to week, but somebody's going to have to have a heck of a week if they're going to beat either one of these teams in the regular season. We'll come back. Brooks Austin set to join us from Dogs Daily on SI. We'll look at Georgia. They're just dominating win over Arkansas and look ahead to Auburn this week. Not used to having it so early in the season, but here it is, Georgia and Auburn this week. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Georgia absolutely dominating yet again. If I can do my uh, simple math in my head, that would be uh, 99 to nothing the last two weeks against uh, SEC opponents for Georgia. And they uh, just eviscerated Arkansas there in Athens, Auburn, coming up this weekend in Auburn, Alabama. Joining us as he does every Monday from Dogs Daily on SI.com, Brooks Austin joins us. Brooks, 
Uh, more, another weekend, more domination uh, from that Georgia defense. Yeah, good Lord. I mean, we, we expected Arkansas to move the ball just a little bit, but they struggled from opening kick. I mean, literally. I mean, before they even got a snap off, they had two false start penalties. I think crowd noise had a lot to do with it. This is Arkansas's first real uh, away game. You know, they, they got Texas at home, and then they had Texas A&M on a neutral site there in Jerry's world, which might as well have been a somewhat of a home game for Arkansas considering where Jerry Jones went to college. So, um, yeah, for, first real away game, way environment for them, and it was in one of the most hostile noon kicks you'll ever find in college football. It was absolutely absurd Saturday. So, the I mean, Kirby said today he thought the, the crowd noise accounted for 10 points. Um, I, I think you could have given, given Arkansas about seven or eight quarters, and they probably wouldn't have scored a point, it looked like on Saturday it was it was utter domination this is something I kind of talked about in our in our film studies leading up to it you know since Kirby's been at Georgia and and I I consider Arkansas a a quote-unquote gimmicky offense they're they're very heavy heavy relying on misdirection uh, a lot of pulling guards a lot of motion a lot of pre-snap motion a lot of trick plays uh from Kendall Bryles as well those types of offenses have like zero historical success against Kirby Smart. They just don't score. He dominated Gus Malzahn for a long time. You, you know, Malzahn would have a game here now and then against Georgia. Kendall Bryles is kind of cut from the same cloth offensive coordinating-wise, and it was utter domination. They just they, Their eyes were right all day long. They rallied to the football. And then once they made them one-dimensional, you know, one dimensional, once they made them rely on the passing game, at that point it was really over with at that point. So Georgia could really pin their ears back. And get after the quarterback too. So yeah, it was it was domination from opening kick to final whistle. Brooks, I mean, when you think about obviously that defense is about as good as I've ever seen, and obviously I've seen a lot of Georgia Georgia defensive football. Coach Coach Landing and what he's doing, like the manner in which he's doing. Now, every year, you know, you're going to have the hot shot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Coach Landing is kind of in the lane by himself right now because. And we talked about it last segment. It doesn't matter the team. It's hard to keep a team off the scoreboard. I don't, I don't, I don't care who it is. But the fact that you've done it in back-to-back weeks against pretty good competition, regardless if you're the better team, talk about Coach Landing, man, and how in the world, you know, is uh, Georgia going to keep him in Athens uh, years to come? I mean, they they struggled to do so last year. They had to give him a, a pretty substantial raise this offseason just to keep him from taking that. Texas defensive coordinator job because Sark came calling and was and was throwing quite the price tag in landing. So, you know, I, I've always compared him to a young Kirby Smart in the sense that he just strikes me as a guy that's going to wait this one out. I mean, he's going to wait until that job opportunity opens for him to be a head coach. Not He's not going to be taking lateral moves for pay raises. I mean, we saw this last offseason. He'll just demand a pay raise at Georgia and he'll get it. So I don't see him taking any lateral moves to become a defensive coordinator anywhere. I also don't see him going and taking like a, a mid-major job to become a head coach and trying it out there. I think he re, he waits it out, allows the demand for his services as a head coach to really grow and then have that right opportunity, right? At, at, like Kirby Smart did for, you know, coming to Georgia and things like that. So I, I think you see Dan kind of waited out. I mean, the, he did have an opportunity to probably get his name in the hat for that Kansas job become a head coaching job, uh, you know, head coach there, but a terrible situation in the sense that they fire less miles, what, a month before the season, a month and a half before the season. That's not the job, right? That's not the right opportunity to be leaping off of this uh, George bandwagon when you're, you know, heading into the season thinking you got a shot at the national title, and here we are five weeks in, and you definitely got a shot 
at a national title. As far as what he's doing schematically, it's hard for me to tell. They're so daggum complex, Ben. Um, they do a lot of funky stuff and coverages and blitzes in uh, stunts and schemes and what they do in the run game as well. I think the most important thing when I watch Dan, and I think it's what's going to make him a really good head coach when he becomes a head coach is, He's got like 45 guys in this defense that have completely bought in. They're, they're comfortable not playing a bunch of reps. They're comfortable with N'Kobe Dean only taking 70% of the snaps, even though he's one of the nation's best linebackers. And in every other program, that guy doesn't leave the field. But yet, they're all happy, right? Channing Tindall, as happy as can be, finally getting his opportunity as a senior. That's the most important thing to me. I, I see a guy that we, we know he can recruit. He's recruited the outside linebacker position uh, specifically really, really well since he's been there. Um, but he's getting buy-in from a lot of guys. And that, that's really tough to do in a college football day and age where, ah, you know, I can just hit the portal and play next next season wherever I go. So that's been the most impressive thing for me for Dan Lanning and this defensive staff. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. Joining us, Brooks, what can you tell us there about JT Daniels? I know came out for warm-ups, left. Stetson Bennett gets to start. I mean, didn't really have to do anything. I think he threw it just 11 times. But uh, Georgia yeah. with five games and at least in what, by my count, three of them, JT Daniels hasn't either has neither not played or not played a significant amount of time. Is that concerning that whatever is bothering him is just becoming a lingering thing at this point? So I, I was kind of concerned, or not kind of concerned. I was very concerned when I heard the word oblique in general. When I heard oblique at first, and now it's you know turned into a lat issue. When I heard oblique from the very beginning, if you've ever you know dealt with anybody that's ever had this injury, I know you guys follow the Braves really really closely. That oblique and lat injury, that type of body injury is a baseball-specific, almost always injury. Guys that are throwing the ball all the time, those things are very, very finicky. They, they could be three to four weeks. They could be seven to eight, seven to eight weeks. It, it's very touch and go. It's an inflammation injury is the way I look at it. You never know when it's going to spark up. You never know when it's going to fire up. You never know when you're going to be healthy, when you're going to be you know good to go. Um, it's just a time. I, we, we made a joke today in our Discord over there that's connected to our Patreon service about how they just need to put that joker on bed rest. Just let him just, just chill and just let it get healed and, and come back whenever he wants or whenever he can because what they did last week was they gave him Monday and Tuesday off. They tried to get him in there Wednesday. He threw a little bit, felt okay. Threw fine Thursday, got a lot of the reps Thursday, was ripping it around. And then Friday he wakes up and he's in, you know, drastic amounts of pain. And then Saturday it was even worse. So whatever he did Thursday, whether it was just throwing the football, it clearly inflamed that lat muscle. Um, and, and, and it's a very touch and go injury. This isn't something that, you know, you can just shoot up, right? You can just put quarter zone in. You'd be good to go. That's not how these things work when it comes to lat issues or muscle issues or, or oblique issues. So, it's going to be touch and go for a while, and I don't know when they're going to get him back. I mean, Brooks, I mean, I know I, I think I might ask you this every other week you come on, man. How how, how blessed is Georgia to have, you know, uh, a guy in Stetson Bennett? Look, he, it's never going to be sexy enough for the onlooker, but when you think about college football now, it's, isn't it, okay, if our starting quarterback goes down, do we still have our postseason aspirations? Georgia might be the only team in the nation that can say that because Stetson Bennett played last year, most backups, who was, we obviously know is the you know most loved person on campus. How 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 impressive is it to have a guy like Seth that can always you know ready to step in? I think it's 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 very very impressive, honestly. And you know Stetson kind of mentioned after the game Saturday that he'd had some thoughts about leaving the program um, last year. You know because he wanted to get some reps and and not necessarily just even ones reps, but twos reps, like Kirby said today in his press conference. So it's a testament to this culture at Georgia to be able to keep a guy like that around. Um, but it's really a testament at 13. 
I mean, Kirby said it after the UAB game. Nobody's been better to the University of Georgia than Stetson Bennett. Um, now, he did leave, right? He went, to Ju- he went the JUCO route after being a walk-on. Um, you know, after that 2017 season, spent 2018 at a JUCO, came back 2019, and here we are in 2021. And they're leaning on him, and they're going to continue to lean on him. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of this, you know, they got such a strong defense, Ben, that if they just put up 21 points – I mean, they really, they really can do it. They, they could, they could run the table, just making everything a rock fight. And if that's what it turns into, I think they feel really, really comfortable with it. And I, I know Kirby spoke today about how confident he is, and not just Stetson, but all of these guys. And I think that confidence stems directly from how historic this defense is, because they are, they're, they're, they're legendary status already. Brooks Austin joining us here on Three and Out. You got Auburn this week and a, a road test. I know Georgia hasn't been. But to one road game, that was Vanderbilt. I don't know if that counts as a hostile environment <laughs> unnecessarily. You had a neutral site game to start, but you go to Auburn, oldest deep south, oldest rivalry, a lot of attrition, played at a weird time on the schedule. We don't normally see it this early in the year. We saw Bama go to Florida and at least struggle, uh, pulled it out late. What do you think Georgia gets in kind of a first, as you said, true hostile road environment? Maybe with Stetson as your quarterback, who knows? But the first kind of hostile environment, 330 kick there with Auburn. Dude, Auburn is like spooky land for Georgia (laughs) fans. It's like crazy stuff happens there at Jordan-Hare at least once a year. I mean, at least once a year, historically, something crazy happens inside that stadium. I don't know if it's because they got the world's largest speakers in the end zone and they play a bunch of music. I don't know if it's all I do is win, win, win being played 12,000 times while you're there. I don't know what it is about Auburn. I don't know what it is about Jordan Hare, but that 16 point spread or whatever it is right now, it's going to go north of that. And I don't know, man. It's it's weird. Now, here's the deal. It's still Bo Nix. And like Kirby can sit there and say all the great things in the world about Bo Nix, but if you're just going to sit back there and run around like a chicken with your head cut off, that's not a that's not a recipe for success against this Georgia defense. It's not. Watch what happened to him two years ago when they went and played there at Auburn. I mean, he had a great second half, but they had a great second half because Georgia was still doing the Jake Fromm, the James Coley, the, the type of offense where we're up 21 points in the second half. We're just going to hand the ball off and punt after four downs of running the football. We're going to control the clock. We're going to lean on our defense. And, you know, Bo Nix had about 65 plays, it felt like, in that second half and finally got hot. He is a much better quarterback at home, take out the Georgia State game. Historically, he is a much better quarterback at home. But, man, I just don't – I don't know how this is going to look against this Georgia defense. This this Auburn offense probably is not going to put up too many points against what we're looking at from Georgia. They're just too good. Georgia offense. I mean, I kept saying how they gonna how they gonna spread the ball around with what we've been seeing. Uh, Brooks has been working obviously because of that defense. But is it gonna be you know running back by committee? I mean, Cook twelve carries, Zamir White sixteen, McIntosh ten, Milton twelve. With so much talk about these guys on the perimeter, when it's all said and done, Brooks, is it gonna be more of the same ground and pound with the Georgia offense? I, I almost laughed today because Kirby said. Uh... Something along the lines of we've got six healthy wide receivers and we play three receivers on every snap. So, like, they're still really, really banged up at the wide receiver position. Um, And I think that's not only schematically. I mean, they're always a take what's given offense. I mean, even with Munkin, right? You look back against Mississippi State and and JT Daniels' first career start. Mississippi State was stacking the box, blitzing everybody, playing cover one, and even sometimes cover zero behind it. 
So they threw the heck out of the football. Cincinnati did the same thing. South Carolina last year played six in the box and really dropped everyone in pass coverage. So Georgia ran the ball. Well, this year they're doing the same thing. I mean, they're being a balanced offense when it's a balanced defensive front. But when you're going to line five, five guys in the box like Arkansas did, and I've got six offensive blockers and a ball carrier, well, yeah, guys, we're going to run the ball 56 times today. And if you're going to be so hard-headed that you're not going to stack the box and try to stop us, well, then we're just going to keep running the ball, especially when we're up 21 to nothing. So is it going to be running back by committee? Yeah, 100%. It's going to be that the rest of the time, I believe. With the way that they recruit the running back position and the way that they keep stacking that room, next year they get Branson Robinson uh, and Jordan James in that in that group is in, in that mix as well. Yeah, it's going to keep being this. They're, they're going to keep handing everybody the ball off. And they, they even said they feed the hot hand. I don't even see that. Uh, they just they just rotate by series, it seems like, and even by situation as well. So, yeah, it's going to keep being running back by committee, and it's going to keep being what is the defense giving us. This is not a here's what we do, respond to us. This is a what are you guys doing? Let's design a game plan for that and execute accordingly. Georgia and Auburn coming up this weekend. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Our guest, Brooks, always a pleasure. We'll talk next week. See you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Brooks Austin joining us here is Georgia and Auburn coming up. And, again, huge line for that one already uh, in Georgia's favor. We'll see where that goes. But uh, kind of the first hostile road test. Vanderbilt's not hostile to anybody. It's probably more hostile to Vandy than it is anybody else. And you had the neutral game against Clemson. So, first big road test for Georgia. We'll see how they handle it. Uh, and, again, Bama, when they went to Florida, struggled. They ended up getting the win, but struggled a little bit there in the swamp. We'll see if Georgia has to, uh, you know, overcome some things there against Auburn. If they blow out Auburn again, again, on the road, neutral site, at home, we would have seen it all, every possible scenario for Georgia already. It, it, it's going it's to take, it's gonna take a, an incredible game plan, uh, Kevin, an incredible game by Mr. Bo Nix for them to even have a shot. I know the Tank Bixby in that running game will try to – but, you know, have something to say about it. But this Georgia defense, man, they don't give up anything. And I know we said it a lot. Georgia doesn't give up. They pride themselves on giving you nothing. What, what I mean, you know, uh, what, what, they, what they saying, 300, you would give them nothing but take from them everything. Well, that's that's kind of what Georgia does on defense right now. But I I think it, it does get freaky when they go up to Auburn, but I, I don't see that being the case this year, though, Kevin, at all. Yeah, Georgia's looking really, really good after the last two weeks, especially 99 to nothing against SEC opponents in the last two weeks. We've got more to come here, three and out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Monday. We'll get to D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, coming up next hour. The Falcons, ugh. Losing to the football team over the weekend. So we'll get to that uh, coming up in hour number two. But we've got postseason baseball starting tomorrow. Uh, ben, the Braves are in, as we well know. And uh, good to see them finish strong. Finish the top, finish the regular season. They have the top three guys in RBIs in the National League Adam Duvall, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies. One, two, three. I think Albies is actually tied for third, but still one, two, three, a number of RBI in the National League. Right there on the Braves, of course, uh, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, both hit uh, over 300, I believe, or right at 300 for the season. Fantastic year. Now you get ready for the Milwaukee Brewers coming up on Friday. Very, very impressed, uh, Kevin, with how this Brave team finished. I know a lot of times when you got a cushion, you try to see, I mean, you try to you try to play according to the cushion. The Braves never played prevents baseball as we do uh, in, in football as far as like prevent defense to try to, uh, you know, secure that win. This Braves team has been very, very impressive, Kevin. And, and no bigger stat than Duval Riley 
you know, uh, you know, uh, and Albies, I mean, when you think about the fact that when we th- when we think about this lineup this year, we knew it was going to be explosive. But we were thinking more Acuna, you know, uh, Azuna and Freeman, not, you know, not, uh, not Riley, Albies and Duval. But it just shows that, look, Alex Anthopoulos, give him a lot of credit, man. Putting together a roster, you have to know about players now and in the future. Duval has been a guy since obviously Ozzy is obvious, but hey, man, shout out to them Braves, man, for getting it done. So, sorry, Dodgers. No one cares. No, well, hey, the Dodgers, 106 <laughs> wins are in a wild card game against the Cardinals. Loser goes home. So 106 wins could be walking uh, at the end of the night there on a Wednesday. We've got more to come here. Hour two right around the corner. We'll take three next. D. Orlando Ledbetter will join us. We'll talk Falcons football in hour two as well right here on three and out. Welcome back. Hour two here on this Monday. Glad you are with us. So much to get to still here on the show. If you missed any portion of the show, hit us up on our inter- our Facebook, excuse me, whatever we're doing. Go to ESPNCoastal.com and check it out. Our Spotify, our YouTube channel, at ESPN Coastal. I was going to say our webpage. I couldn't get that out, Ben, for whatever reason on a Monday. But go to our webpage at ESPN Coastal and you can get a podcast version of the show each and every day. But we'll chat with D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, coming up in just a little bit. We'll look at the Falcons and their loss to the Washington football team. Now they go across over to England and take on the New York Jets, which brings us to take three here on three and out. All right, take one, Ben. Which game is a bigger slap in the face to England? Hey, we're going to give you football, but we're going to give you the Jets in Atlanta and then next week, we're going to give you Miami and Jacksonville. Good Lord. I mean, ooh, uh, I mean, I hate to do this to my A-Town down Falcons, man, them boys trying to, you know, find a way to keep things going. I think it is the Jets in Atlanta for the simple fact that, for the, for the simple fact, Kevin, at least Jacksonville wanted to, they wanted to be the London Jaguars. There are reports that say that their owner, Mr. Khan, be flying over to London and say, look, don't lose focus. We're going to find a way to be over here. We're going to be the first London uh, professional football team in the National Football League. So, I, now look, outside of Jacksonville and Miami, just, you know, be, Miami, when you come to, when Miami is the destination spot. So, when you come to Miami, you know, most of these people that have been to Miami, they associate Miami Dolphins with the city of Miami. And no, Miami Dolphins are not a good football team, but Jacksonville wants to be in London. Because right now with the Jets, my God, the Jets won last week against the Titans. The, the, the Falcons got beat by a team with no name. Uh, Cordell Patterson had 14 touchdowns and Atlanta still lost. So I'm going to say it will be the Jets and Atlanta because you're going to have a bunch of players that nobody knows and none of them want to be in London at the time. So give me the Jets and Atlanta, Kevin. I think I know kind of which way you're going to go with it. Yeah, it's definitely the Jags and the Dolphins. I mean, look, <laughs> on just on just the straight face, at least you have Atlanta and you have New Jersey, I know they're the New York Jets, but you have the New Jersey, New York metropolitan markets who will want to watch this game. And the Jets and Falcons have both, you know, won a game uh, in the National Football League uh, this season. Then you go to next week, Miami and Jacksonville, two teams from the same state going to London to play a football game. One of them stinks and has made more headlines about their coach in the club than their play on the field (laughs) and has not won a game. And the Miami Dolphins constantly get criticized about what are you doing? Like the people that cover the team say, we don't know who wants to be, and they are one and three. They are bad. That is a bad football team against a team that is just bad. 
period, at a number of things. On the field, off the field, in the Jacksonville Jaguars. No, the bigger slap in the face is submitting the people of London to Jacksonville, (laughs) Miami, and saying, this could be you. This is NFL football. Nope. Bad. I'm just going to be counting on my jerseys. That's not going to be Atlanta, not going to be New York, not going to be Miami, and not going to be Jacksonville. Hey, man, where's Patrick Mahomes? Where's Tom Brady? Not coming over here. They're good teams. We need their services in the state where they belong. At least Atlanta and the Jets have a former MVP in the game. They do. So they got got a bunch of they got a bunch of a lot of other things, but (laughs) yes, they do got Matty Ice. There's at least there's at least something to sell there. (laughs) Yes, at least they'll say, "Hey, Matty Ice, you've been to the Super Bowl, right? What's it like? Where's Tom Brady? He's in the stinks. I'll I'll holler at him when I when I get back when I get back home." Tom Brady said, I only go to London when my wife tells me it's time to go. And Talk that's usually, it. and that's for a paying gig. I play football in the States. <laughs> All right, take two. Well, what is what is the wildest stat that you have from the Atlanta Braves season? And there's a lot of them. Yeah, Kevin, I was going to go a lot of different ways with this. I mean, the one that, that I was going to go with is obviously the win-loss, win-loss. But, Kevin, your favorite, listen, your favorite closer in baseball is fourth. He is fourth in in the majors and saves. That would be Mr. Will Smith. And didn't you tell me, Kevin, he's two away from being tied for second. So and two away from number we, one. He's two number away one. from number one. So 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 for everybody who who watched Will Smith and said to myself, he is the worst. Actually, he's not. <laughs> he's actually two away from being now stats wise. It ain't much to look at, but stats-wise, he's too away from being the best. So, Kevin, to me, with everything I could have pulled from with Izzy and that infield, you know, it just I'm going to go with Mr. Will Smith, who's definitely going to play in the playoffs. He is fourth in the majors and saves. So, BJ, Papa B, take that for Mr. Will Smith. And listen, we talking about – so when people say, can numbers lie, can numbers be deceiving? App. Absolutely, when it comes to Mr. Will Smith. Yeah, I think there's a lot of them that are out there that are really cool. Like, you know, the fact that Duvall, Riley, and Albies are one, two, three in the National League in RBIs, or the fact that I think you ended up with six guys with over tw- maybe seven. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll double check the, that the six or seven guys over 25 homers, and Ronald Acuna didn't play half the season. He had 24. But you have, I think you have six guys in the current lineup who have hit it over 24, 25 times over the fence. That is amazing. That just doesn't happen. And you and you have maybe one of the best infields from an offensive production standpoint that we've ever seen in, in Major League Baseball, certainly with the Atlanta Braves in terms of homers, RBI. Pro, I mean, first, second, third, short combo we saw this year in Atlanta was up there. But the most amazing stat that is wild is one that we witnessed partially going in and out of the All-Star break, and that was the fact that the Braves – Went, what, 13 or 14 games in a row, winning and losing in alternating fashion. I don't even know how you do that. Like, Ben, when there's only two options, and those options are win or lose, how do you even make that go opposite 13 times in a row? I couldn't give you a quarter and say flip it 13 times and have it go heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, tails. Like, at some point, it's going to be tails twice in a row, just out of sheer dumb luck. Like, it's going to be tails twice in a row or heads twice in a row. Surely, out of just dumb luck or just the way baseball is, you're going to win two in a row or you're going to lose two in a row. But the fact that they went like two weeks in alternating fashion is truly amazing. That just that doesn't happen in sports. That doesn't happen in games of chance. That 
It doesn't happen anywhere. Like, I can't go to the roulette table and say it's going to go red, black, red, black, red, black, 13 spins in a row. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, Kevin, isn't that that old adage of you're never as good as they say you are? You're never as bad as they say you are. <laughs> that is the definition of steady. We're going to, listen, we win again. Hey, man, no, we lose again. Wait a minute. We, so, listen, we don't, we're not good. We're not bad. We're lukewarm. We're not hot or cold. We're just right there in the middle. And I wouldn't try this with nobody outside of Atlanta. But for 2021, it worked for the Braves, Kevin, because it kept us talking. It kept our mind off of Will Smith and how bad we thought he was. Because turns out he was pretty freaking good. Yeah, I hate to admit that, but. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, Kevin, you already know what jersey you getting this year for Christmas. You, you, you already know. One of the best clothes in the baseball, and it, and Kevin, oh my God, if the Braves win, if the Braves win the uh, World Series, and Will Smith is closing, Kevin gonna say, "What is going on?" Like, He's the greatest guy ever at that point, right? <laughs> we don't listen. We have archives every one of these shows to go back and say, Kevin is saying, Will Smith, you are the worst. But if you can win the World Series for one night, I will forgive you until the 2022 yep. season. All will, all will be forgiven if Will Smith can bring home a championship. We've got one more to get to here. Take three. Today is National Taco Day. So, Ben, the debate, not whether tacos are delicious. I think we all know that. But the debate, hard shell or soft shell with your taco. I'm going to go hard shell. I know it's a lot of soft shell people out there. Now, Kevin, we talked about this before the show. Now, me and you have been introduced to a, a more like, you know, sophisticated way of soft shell tacos. Like, you know, we kind of like, like fried a little bit. They bubbled up. I don't Listen, to me, I ain't never had a soft. Mine has always been, hey, put it in the microwave for about 10 seconds. Let it get It ain't doing nothing but getting warm. It, it, it tastes the same, but it's going to warm it up. So for me, I like hard shells. Want to hear that crunch. And, you know, I want I want all, I, listen, I want my taco kind of stacked up a little bit in my hard shell. So, for me, nothing against you soft. Uh, you know, shell, give me the hard shell because the soft, well, it just depends on who's making them. And since I don't get them the sophisticated way anymore, <laughs> give me the hard shell. Yeah, I, I really like soft shell. I, I think that's the authentic way to eat them if, if you want to be for real about it. Like, if you were to go to Mexico and order tacos, they would bring them to you in the soft shell. That's the real way to do it. Probably. Yeah. So no 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 that's not probably no that is. Well I mean I, I now, mean I mean I, I y'all don't got the hot. Is that like one of those places that you go get a hot dog and they say don't ask for don't ask for uh, ketchup because they only get put mustard <laughs> on it. I'm like hey man can I get a hard shell kick him out what? Yeah no kick you're out of here out. yeah. Where are you from? Yeah soft shells are good but I will agree the once I was introduced to the I I guess it's fried technically you put the you put the soft tortilla in the uh, vegetable oil or whatever and you like fry it up for a couple oh, minutes. It's oh, not God. crunchy. It's not soft, but it's something in between. It's magical. It is good. It is, good. It is, it, 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 it is it, very it is, good. It is, it is, it is and, and, you want, and you want the one fresh out. Like, you don't want the ones that are sitting there for yeah. a couple of seconds. I want that. I, I got it. I got it. And put your stuff in there. So, yeah, Kevin, because I've gone back from sophistication to regular, I will just go <laughs> crunchy. Thank you very much. Yes, we've all lost a little sophistication there with our tacos. That's take three. We do it every day this time. We'll come back. D. Orlando Ledbetter going to join us. We'll talk about the Falcons. I know Arthur Smith said after week one we got to get better. Now he's saying Calvin Ridley, we just got to have more. Where is this Atlanta Falcons team as they get ready to go over to London and play the Jets this week? He'll join us next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Atlanta Falcons there against the Washington football team. Uh, another loss as they get ready to head across to uh, London this week. 34-30 Falcons lose to the Washington football team. And afterwards, 
obviously Arthur Smith saying, look, we need more out of certain guys. And joining us here, talk about that. D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, covers the Atlanta Falcons. Daryl, welcome again. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on the show again. Tough way for the Falcons to lose that one. I know Taylor Heineke, uh, kind of a miracle pass when you're up eight uh, late in that ball game and then to have it go down the way it did. Where's this Falcons team, uh, realistically, uh, fan banter aside about how bad it's been, where's this Falcons team as they sit at one and three as you watch them play? Well, they actually got a little bit better yesterday. They were able to put more of a game together. They haven't been able to play four quarters all year, but uh, it's a work in progress. You know, they did uh, come into the game as a 29th-ranked offense and, and put up 374 yards for touchdown passes. Uh, then the defense, which had been coming along, uh, you know, uh, didn't do as well yesterday. They uh, allowed Tyler to scramble. Taylor, I'm sorry, Heineke, to scramble about and uh, make some plays. And they dropped some balls that would have, you know, put this thing away uh, earlier, you know. So it was uh, a mixed bag for the Falcons right now. How would, how would you describe this offensive game plan, though? Uh, you know, when you, think, when, you think, when you think about the fact that, when you think about the fact that, too, you, you mentioned, I mean, they, they played a little bit better, but does the offense have to consistently play better to kind of wait on this defense and kind of find their, you know, kind of find their niche at this point? Yeah, no doubt. You know, I'm fine with the game plan. I know a lot of people think the coach got too conservative late in the game. But, I mean, you got to be able to run the ball with 3.52 left in the game. And, uh, you know, if you can't, I'm not uh, real comfortable with dropping back and passing with this group either. So they get a little bit stronger and uh, a little bit more uh, a tougher up front, you know, maybe you do call a pass in that situation. But, you know, good sound football moves to run the ball run the clock out and get out of there. So they, they wasn't able to do that. Um, and so, you know, he's open to some criticism there. But, um, yeah, I don't have any problems with the offense scoring 30 points. You get that every week, you should be uh, getting a W. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, Daryl, you look at this Falcons offense. Cordell Patterson was your leading rusher and leading receiver uh, yesterday. Mike Davis, we heard a lot about Mike Davis, so he's the guy that Arthur Smith wants to to be that power running back. And last couple weeks, Wayne Gallman outperforming, Cordell Patterson outperforming. Is he still the, 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 the leading running back here on this team, and are they looking at kind of making some changes to that depth chart here in the coming days? Uh, no, he said we asked him that today. We just talked to coaches like, hey, when are you going to have to consider – moving some of the carries from Davis to Patterson or Gallman. Uh, and uh, he said, no, Mike's running hard. He's doing a great job. It takes all 11. So he's not holding it against Davis that he's not racking up the yards. He's holding it against the line. So I don't know if he gets to put Josh Andrews back in there. Uh, he's coming back from the um, IR list. Or do they, do they wait until they start blocking it up better? Uh, but as of right now, He's staying with uh, the rotation that he has back there. I mean, D. Orlando, when you think about this young secondary, right, I mean, they're going to go through some growing pains. I understand that. I mean, uh, you know, Scary Terry, he was he was having his way yesterday. But how do you assess him with a very, very, you know, at, you know, even though the season is very, very young uh, at this point? Yeah, the, um, the, the whole secondary, you got Terrell, Fabian. Fabian got beat on the 33-yarder. Um, you know, Eric Harris and Deron, you know, they're veterans. Um, 
you know, Isaiah's down. So, you know, now that we get to see Richie Grant in there, uh, um, Avery Williams took over over for Isaiah this week. And then Darren Hall, the fourth-round pick, is, uh, you know, he's uh, uh, he was inactive. So, you know, they, they – um, they had T.J. Green out there when Fabian was hurt. He watched uh, watched Gary Terry catch the one uh, Hail Mary blooper pass that Heineke threw up. You know, you got to kind of bat that one down. But, yeah, the secondary's got to get a little bit tighter uh, in their coverage. And, um, you know, and then the rushers got to stay after the guy. Even when they, they had uh, everything covered on the touchdown play and then Heineke just you know, you're never supposed to throw back across the field, but that's what he did and uh, found McKissick and uh, got a touchdown out of it. So, uh, you know, it's just some weird plays there, too, that, uh, you know, the secondary's got to, you know, come up with some interceptions when they get their hands on the ball and maybe play a little bit tighter coverage. And just one sack, I believe, again yesterday, and, and that's probably going to be a, a season-long theme. I know, Daryl, we've probably – said find a pass rush almost every time you've come on the show with us, but where are they at, at least scheming themselves into some more sacks? They tried and got Isaiah Oliver knocked out of the season probably. Uh, you know, he was coming on a nickel corner blitz, and uh, J.D. McKissick caught him real good there. Uh, they said it was a knee injury. It looked like a concussion to us in the press box, but we'll, we'll see how that comes out. Uh, but, yeah, they, they've been trying. You've been seeing cats come off the corner, uh, come up the middle. Uh, you know, uh, Grady Jarrett had a good stop on fourth down. He did a swim move and got right in the backfield. Uh, Fowler's uh, flashing. But, you know, on, on some of those scrambles, he got, he's got to get the quarterback down on the ground. So, um, you know, those are the only people I've been seeing come and get near the quarterback. Uh, you know, for the Falcons, is you know those four. Dion should be getting free on some blitzes. Haven't seen him there. Uh, Foyer haven't seen him blitzing much, but he got the sack yesterday. So they got to fabricate it. And um, you know, hey, maybe they can get Jordan Davis and rent him out from the uh, Bulldogs there to help out. Hey man, he he would he would be a great addition. But uh, Dion, I mean, I, Arthur Smith has already started. But I understand that uh, when the, when your stars or your star. And the receiver position ain't really playing up to the to the level that you want. They already kind of calling out saying they want to get more out of Calvin Ridley. Is that more play calling, or is it just the fact that Ridley is still trying to find his footing thus far? No, I did uh, his numbers there. They don't look too good. He's only averaging under uh, ten a, a catch. So you know that was play calling. But yesterday they forced him uh, the ball thirteen times. He dropped a couple. Looked kind of uh, a little timid running across the middle there. And, uh, you know, and then they knocked a couple more off of him on some passes that were a little late to him. So, uh, you know, the coach said he needs more from Calvin Ridley. So, uh, there's no question about it. If the coach is calling you out to the media uh, that, you know, he did the same thing to Calvin's face, I'm sure. So, um, you know, they, he got to catch some of them balls uh, that were, you know, on, on time. And you're going to get hit sometime when you catch the ball. So, um, he was. He got a couple balls knocked off of him. He dropped a couple balls. He looked a little timid coming across the middle. So no, that wasn't his best game at all. You're gonna need to see a little bit more from him uh, here down the. Uh, you know, if this offense is gonna win some games. Daryl, this week uh, Falcons go over to uh, to London with the Jets. You've got uh, a one win Jet team. Miami one win in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, should we really judge Arthur Smith on how the Falcons perform the next couple of weeks against some young head coaches and some teams that you should probably beat? Yeah, no question about it. Same thing, but we, we said the same thing uh, about the Eagles there, and uh, they didn't they weren't ready for that. And then once Washington lost Fitzpatrick, you thought, well, okay, they're not playing too good. You should beat them too. But, uh, you know, yeah, these next two – uh, should be winnable games. Maybe you can get over, you know, 500 here, get to 3-2. and two. Uh, You know, that would be, uh, you know, a 3-3, three and three, get it all tied up, and then, uh, you know, maybe be on your way because the tougher part of the schedule is coming. And right now it doesn't look like they're going to be ready to handle that. So um, this team got to get – he said it today. He said, we got to get better in a hurry. And so hopefully they can teach off of this game. And uh, they could eliminate, you know, the, the, you know, minor mistakes, the false starts and all the stupid stuff that uh, cost you football games, you know. So, um, you know, it's their first, first four games playing together. Uh, they didn't play in the uh, training camp. So, you know, kind of look at that as the exhibition season. And can they make a jump and go over to London and, you know, hand it to the Jets and show everybody you're a really good football team or, you know, we're just going to be in for this kind of up-and-down, back-and-forth type of football that we've seen over the, the uh, four, first four games. Kyle Pitts has looked better catching the football as of late. You know he's going to be a guy they're going to find a way to get the ball to. Still hasn't gotten the end zone yet. I mean, what? how do, how, how do you assess him, you know, just four weeks in? And are they coming up with a game plan for him when they do get in that red zone? No, they haven't. They um, I, his best route has been a crossing route over the middle where you're running them into safeties. Uh, I, I don't like that particular route that much for him. Uh, he did get one up the seam against the Eagles. I like to see that cover two beaters some more. Uh, and in the red zone, they got um, they got stuck again down there on the first possession on the seventh. And I don't believe one ball went to him down there in, in uh, that sequence. So. Uh, you know, bring him in motion, slide him across the formation, uh, put him uh, in the backfield. Uh, you know, do, they did throw one to him. It was a high one that was too high that he couldn't go get. So, uh, yeah, but um, just remember that off the top of my head. But, yeah, the, um, you know, they got to do better. They got to do better in all facets of uh, playing football. Dior Orlando Ledbetter joining us here covers the Falcons for the AJC and uh, Daryl. Finally, Falcons are in London this week. What are kind of your thoughts on this London game as it continues to evolve? I know what are the players saying about it, and it seems like for all you got to do to get over there, then a week off to adjust coming back. Is this still a worthwhile experiment for the National Football League to have teams giving up home games to go play in London? Well, yeah, I certainly think it's a um, you know I was covering the NBA when uh, David. Was making this push to um, expand internationally. That worked out great for them. NFL was kind of late on that uh, international expansion. And I think, you know, um, taking the game to different countries and uh, across the world is a good thing for uh, football in general. May not be a good thing for the Falcons this year losing their home game. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, a, a worthwhile endeavor to uh, spread the game internationally. Orlando Ledbetter, our guest here on 3 and Out. Daryl, always a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good one. Will do. D. Orlando Ledbetter does it uh, better 
than anybody else out there covering the Atlanta Falcons there with the AJC. Always a pleasure having him on uh, talking Falcons. And, and Ben, obviously tight end position, your forte, Kyle Pitts, you said four weeks in, not gotten in the end zone. What do you do to remedy that? It's going to have to be play calling, uh, Kevin. I mean, he's a one-trick pony right now. I mean, he's built I mean, he's built for speed. When you look at how this guy, he's built to do the things he does. But the thing about the NFL, they're going to force you uh, to kind of get out of your comfort zone. I know that play calling is going to be essential, but you get known for running a certain route. They're going to they, – listen, no team cares about – no defense cares about giving up – giving up yards between the 20s. But with the 20-yard line in, that's how you make your money. First downs, touchdowns, and momentum swings. Right now for Kyle Pitts, he's got the first two. As far, I mean, he's got he's got the momentum swing in the, in the first downs, but he got to be able to get in the zone. It's not his fault, but he was brought in to replace Julio. And right now, he's giving you production. But Julio was known for not getting in the end zone, Kevin. And right now, Kyle Pitts is living up to that moniker. Right, wrong, and different. His fault or not, got to find a way to get number eight in the zone. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out on this Monday. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well at ESPN. 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'll look at uh, the good, the bad, the ugly from the college football weekend. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll look back on the weekend that was in the SEC. And Jake Roos going to join us. Final hour of the program as well. But in many things that are interesting in college football, Ben, what is the ACC, right? Clemson was going to be a national title contender because, well, they always are. They've got two losses, barely squeaked by Boston College, who's been good this year, mind you, but barely got by Boston College for a win. Otherwise, they'd have three losses already. Wake Forest is undefeated. North Carolina has lost a couple of times already. Florida State barely just got their first win of the season already. What is the ACC? Kevin is it's going. To, I, don't, I don't want to call it an overhaul because the overhaul has to be over time, right? It's definitely it's definitely got a facelift though. It don't look it don't look like ACC walking down the street, and you like that look like it, but I they you you look different because because Kevin you said it. Clemson offense is bad. We need to it is bad until they show us something different. It is bad. Miami don't know you don't know what's going on in Miami right now with them losing thirty to twenty eight to Virginia. The Wake Forest, as you mentioned, is undefeated. I don't know who the real Georgia Tech is, but the team I saw two weeks ago, the last two weeks, did not. It's not the team that showed up to play Pitt. UNC beat Duke, okay? Florida State squeaked out a win against Syracuse. Cincinnati beats Notre Dame. Yes, Notre Dame is a part of the ACC <laughs> because I don't want to hear it. So, Kevin, I mean, 2021, we're going to look back on this thing and say, listen, either this is what the ACC is going to be moving forward, or, Kevin, this is just an anomaly. Like, this is just uh, just an awkward year. I mean, it's bad enough that the that Wake Forest is the what the Demon Deacons that that's a that's that, that's crazy within itself the mascot but yes Kevin it's you said the ACC ACC's itself it is usually the teams not named Clemson not named Miami not named North Carolina well they seem to all be doing it this year Wake Forest don't know what to do they don't know what to do right now being undefeated like wait a minute what we're the only team under so who would have ever thought that's keeping the ACC afloat. It's Wake Forest right now. It ain't Miami. It ain't North Carolina. It ain't Virginia Tech. It ain't. So I think, Kevin, it's a week by week. So week four in ACC is a head scratcher. But I do know that DJ Uangale, or however you say his last name, he's saying he's still confident. Confident in what? To not score points. So, yes, Kevin, this it's going to be, <coughs> excuse me, it's only week four. It's going to be a long season left, Kevin. And I don't know who's going to be at Bank of America Stadium. 
for the ACC championship game. But what I do know, it's probably not, it's probably going to be two newcomers at this point. <laughs> well, again, there's a couple of ways to look at it. If you are a conference in transition, one, your conference isn't that good. You can look at it that way, and that obviously is the way a lot of people do. You can also look at it and say, look, we're a, comp- we're a conference that is trying to compete, and we've got a lot of teams who are fairly equally matched to one another. That's what makes the league interesting, right? Is you don't know who's going to win. This isn't the SEC where Bama and Georgia beat people by 30 and the game's over in the first quarter, and we kind of know what we, we, we've known three weeks ago. Georgia and Bama are going to go play in the SEC championship game. I mean, you don't have that league where you could just chalk it up and you already know how it's going to end. You thought you did, but you're seeing teams, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, teams that are in limbo trying to figure out. So one week they look very good, one week they look pretty bad. Those are signs of teams that are trying to figure it out. Right now, the best quarterback in the league might be Kenny Pickett at Pitt, who's really playing well. So uh, it could be very interesting. Like I said, do I know who's going to wind up in Charlotte? Nope. Would I bet money on who's going to wind up in Charlotte? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. But I think we've come so accustomed to if you don't have a team that's contending for it all, it means you have a bad league. Well, we don't say that about the SEC. What, your number two contender is about to lose three games in a row? What, your number 10 Arkansas just got blasted by 37 points and did not score as a top 10 team? Oh, well, they're playing other SEC teams. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I I mean, we don't say that about the SEC when they have teams that are inconsistent. SEC, ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, they all hear that when their teams lose. Oh, the the league's just not good. They have a team. I think the ACC doesn't have a powerhouse team right now, but I think they have a middle that's trying to sort itself out. And it may not be this year, but I think they have some programs that are trying to get the corner turned. It won't be in 2021, but there's some signs that consistency down the road, they might have a couple of teams that end up being worthwhile contenders. No, no, I couldn't agree with you more, Kevin. We, we, we do get caught up in the dominance, right? We want a team to dominate, to be the, to be the headliner. And every, it's like, as long as we got a dominant team, everybody else to be okay. Because that's what we gonna cling to. No, this is more. This is more college football when you think about it. There is no. There is no front runner. You got to play every single game, every single week to decide. Not, hey man, they clinch that thing. You know, week seven, week eight of the season. No, we do it to ourselves. We come up with these narratives, right, Kevin? Okay, Clemson's gonna be good. They're gonna beat Georgia. They're gonna run the table. They're gonna lose to Georgia, and they still run the table. No. No, no, no. Oh, North Carolina got Sam Howell. Oh, Louisville got, you know, got Malik Cunningham. Oh, Miami got, uh, you know, uh, you know, Miami, you know, can go out there and do it with the Eric King. No. Kenny Pickett. Get used to that name. See, that's what football is about. It's about from the no name to the – he, he, he from a no name with a big game. I give you – listen, I give you two two words. Joe Burrow. Going into his senior season. Nobody thought he would become he would become I'm not saying Kenny Pickett is gonna be Joe Burrow by no means. But Kevin, I think you make a good point when you say, look, the ACC is figuring itself out. Guess who else is figuring itself out? Every other conference. You don't think the Big Ten, Big Ten, who's leading right now with that? Penn State, not Ohio State. Who's the best team in the in the in the Pac 12? Who knows? No one knows who the best team is. And the Big 12, look, they still got Oklahoma, Texas. Y'all have already lost to Arkansas, so y'all y'all done. So, yeah, Kevin, let the season – at the end of the year, Kevin, it's, it's going to be not an undefeated team in the ACC championship game, but whoever makes it in will have earned it, no doubt about it. 
Got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll get the good, the bad, the ugly right around the corner. Uh, also, we'll recap the weekend that was in the SEC. A lot of wild stuff happening there as well. Jake Roos will join us in the final hour. It is 3 and Out here on this Monday. Love to hear from you. 912-342-7184. You can hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Uh, we're also live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Streaming also at ESPNCoastal.com. So a number of ways to get us here on the show right here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop with you here on this Monday. Ben, did want to give a shout-out to uh, to Georgia Southern. Had Chad Lunsford this time last week. Chad Lunsford out of a job uh, this time last week. They had interim coach come into place, uh, put it together after a rough start, and they come out and beat Arkansas State 59-33. to Left no doubt. You look at uh, the way the offense uh, came together. 540 total yards, including 500 rushing yards in that ball game. Quite the performance after a uh, a pretty emotional week there in Statesboro, where a number of players, obviously very close to Chad Lunsford, uh, and he was was let go last week. Very very impressed uh, with Georgia Southern, uh, Kevin. They got back to what they do, right? They got back to running the football in a major way. Arkansas put up a bunch of punt points every single week, uh, even in, even most of the time and losing efforts. But I mean, let's face it, Georgia Southern had a lot on their mind. They they don't they do not control uh what goes on as far as like decision making. They just have to live with every decision made. And I give those guys a lot of credit for how they went about their business on Saturday. Arkansas State thought, hey man, we're gonna come in there with the walking wounded. Mm-mm. Not so much. They ran the ball down Arkansas State, uh, State's throat, and there, there wasn't much they could do. But, yeah, man, I, I'm very, very impressed by Georgia Southern, man, with Coach Winnie, what he was able to do with a squad that, you know, that was coming in, try, kind of really not understanding what's going on. But they put they put those things to the side. They went out there and played to Kevin. Mm, if they could give this type of effort we could, for the rest of the season, they still do I dare I say they got a fighting chance, you know, in a Sun Belt that's going to be very, very competitive. Yeah, they got uh, again a tough schedule uh, coming up. They go from that to Troy. Uh, Troy just uh, got beat by South Carolina, but you got Troy, South Alabama on a Thursday night, Georgia State. Obviously, Coastal Carolina is going to be tough, but you finish with Texas State, BYU coming in. There are some games out there where this team could be looking at. Potentially still making a bowl game. So if you, especially if you put forth efforts like that, uh, Ben, that's old school Georgia Southern football. Two rushers over 150 yards in the ball game, 500 yards on the ground. That's that's domination at its finest. That is. That's old school football. That's why people do not like playing Georgia Southern. For those people to say, why do you use the type of offense? Because when it is at its best, there is nobody that want to deal with it, and you just take a bludgeon and you just want to wait on all zeros to be on that clock. So Georgia Southern just gave us a little, you know, gave us, you know, a little indication, Kevin, you know, uh, of how good they could be if they can go out there and execute. But yeah, I, it's not the fact that they dominate. It's the circumstance that they was under to dominate, and they still got it done. And Ben, I know you've gone through coaching change, not in season, but it's oftentimes not uncommon if you do a coaching change in season to go out and have a great performance right after the head coach was fired. I think USC let Clay Helton go. It came out the next week and looked terrific, and it makes you sit there and go, okay, maybe it makes sense because if this is what we can do, why haven't they been doing it? You know, for all the season, maybe this team was underachieving in some aspects, and it just seems that when you make that change sometime in the season, that next week, the team usually plays plays pretty good. And obviously, George Southern did that. But what is that like mid-season? To you struggle, you struggle, you struggle. Coaching change, and then you come out and look as good as you have all season long. 
you know, you know that the head coach is no longer a scapegoat. They're no longer an excuse. It not, now it really falls on the players. As long as you got a big name head coach that has had success at a school, they're going to put it on him or her if a team doesn't come out there, uh, you know, execute Kevin. But I, I, I give you a bigger name, even though they football, Nate McMillan. I mean, he took over Lloyd Pierce, couldn't get it done, and look at what he did. Had we're doing the season, these boys are playing big time basketball. So sometimes a change of you know, change at the top is necessary. You understand it's a business, but sometimes Kevin, you know, Kevin, if you if you uh, assistant coach, you looking, you you are the blind spots for the head coach. You can see what he sees and what he cannot, and sometimes you just implement those things. But nothing nothing better than a motivated football team to think that people are already counting them out. Yeah, and again, Georgia Southern with a big win uh, there over the weekend. Did want to give them uh, you know the big credit for that, and we got some big games coming up this week in college football. Uh, Ben, I know we didn't really have it down to talk about a lot, but uh, Urban Meyer apologizing uh, for his actions that went viral uh, over the weekend. And I know you said, look, as a head coach of a college team, as a head coach of an NFL team, you got to know better than to put yourself in that situation, even if we are to believe. You know, what Urban said was like, look, I was at an event. Everybody's trying to take pictures, get me to come out there and dance. And it's like, well, that's not what we saw on the video. So, your kind of reaction to to what we saw there, Urban Meyer, and uh, obviously a rookie head coach in the National Football League now having to apologize for what we saw happening over the weekend. Urban Meyer better be lucky. He come in with a big-time reputation and, and, and a lot of cachet uh, with, with the uh, owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. If he was just another coach that, that finally got his coaching opportunity, they probably would let him go. There's nothing he's done thus far to generate any level of positivity or generate any level of energy and enthusiasm from this fan base. Now it goes, every time he does something negative, they go back to everything he did thus far that wasn't good. From the strength coach, didn't go well. Tebow, didn't go well. And you're on four. Now you're finna get ready to go to London. So he's gonna need some positive publicity. Don't give me the excuse. They want to get you to dance. You they, they want to take pictures. You're Urban Meyer. People take pictures everywhere you go, at the gas station, walking down the street. You don't think they're gonna notice you at a party with, with people who are probably 30 years younger than you? Get out of here with that nonsense, Urban <laughs> Meyer, man. Stop making ways, stop making it about you. I and Kevin, I ain't never seen this, and I've seen Urban Meyer a lot. This 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 is this Urban Meyer playbook right here is different. I'm used to him saying, uh-oh. Team not going well. I got to move on. Not I'm at the, I'm on the dance floor. From further review, the call stands as on the field as called. He's a liar. That's what he is. Yeah, not good, especially uh, when you are out there on the dance floor with people whom you are not uh, married to at the moment. Talk about it. There we go. I, hey, we got uh, look. I, not a good look, as you said, for a coach that is zero and four, and you. You played on Thursday night. I'm not saying people can't have a life, can't have uh, you know a, a good time, but you can't be put in that situation and have a team that is 0-4 and not showing a lot of signs that they're not going to be 0-17 by the time this thing is all said and done, Ben. Kevin, if they do that, look, they won one game last year, and they, and they have yet to win a game this year, and they've already played the Texans. Think about that. Already played the Texans, don't got no wins, and the schedule's only going to get rougher, and they haven't even played Tennessee yet. You know they still can't uh, tackle uh, Derrick Henry. Don't be a long season for Urban Meyer. He's making all the he's making the news for the wrong reasons. He better get right fast, and maybe he can get a win overseas. He sure as hell can't get one in the state. <laughs> that you know that'll become a meme, Ben. It'll be Urban Meyer want to know not in America, in America can't win a game. 
And they do have the Dolphins, so we talked about that. We talked about that in take three. They do have the Dolphins, who are one and three. So maybe an opportunity for Jacksonville uh, to get a win. But that would be kind of funny just in the Jacksonville way. No wins in the United States. Trevor Lawrence and company get a win in London overseas in two weeks. Mercedes Lewis, three touchdowns overseas, (laughs) zero touchdowns in the States. Them boys (laughs) love London and Jacksonville. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, now I kind of hope it happens so we can talk about it here uh, on the show at the end of the day. We've got so much to get to, the good, the bad, the ugly of the uh, the football weekend. Uh, We'll get to that coming up uh, top of next hour. We'll look at the week that was in a wild weekend in the SEC, apart from Georgia and Alabama dominating. I mean, Tennessee put up 62 on Missouri in a game that people thought might be back and forth. Kentucky beats Florida in Lexington for the first time in a long time. Mississippi State. Looking good against Texas A&M. Texas A&M is supposed to be a contender. They're staring down uh, the barrel of three losses uh, as well. So a wild weekend there in the Southeastern Conference. We'll break that down in the final hour. And Jake Roos of Dogs HQ, part of On3 Network, will join us in the final hour as well. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel at ESPNCoastal there on YouTube subscribe and i get notifications every time we go live whether it's three and out second down high school football what have you espn coastal there on final hour here on this monday kevin thomas and ben troop glad you're with us jake roos going to join us from dogs hq part of the on three network uh he will join us here in the final hour also we'll look at the week that was in the sec but ben something we've had a lot of fun with here this season every monday we talk about the good the bad and certainly the downright ugly in the football world. Let's start with the good. What you got? Wow, might be the great. I'm going to go Georgia defense and Alabama as a team. I think Georgia's defense is about as good as I've seen in a long time, Kevin. I was I got you know firsthand experience going up against some Georgia boys, and a lot of times I'm not one of those people to say, oh, during my era it was the best Georgia football. No, this Georgia defense is about as good as it gets. You haven't given up a point in two weeks. Have not given up a point. You almost ain't really giving up a yard either. I mean, people thought that what happened against Vanderbilt was because it was Vanderbilt. Well, Arkansas, they changed colors, but they look they look much of the much no much the same. So I'm gonna go with that Georgia's uh, defense, Kevin, and, and Alabama just going right along, right? Brian Robinson gets healthy. He did nothing but go out there almost 100 and almost 175 yards and four touchdowns. So Georgia Georgia's defense is the best in the country. Alabama's team is the best in the country. So give me Georgia's defense, Alabama's entire squad, the good. My my good is going to be Kentucky, not because it was pretty. Will Levis, awful football game at quarterback, 7 of 17 for 87 yards and a pick. He was awful. Chris Rodriguez, 19, 19 carries for nearly 100 yards. But the good for Kentucky football, they beat Florida at home in Lexington for the first time in forever, seemingly. And if you're talking about turning the corner sometimes, Ben, it's not about how you win. It's finding a way to win, and Kentucky certainly did that. They are 5-0. and Obviously, you can get caught looking ahead. They know you got, uh, you got Georgia coming up down the road. But 5-0 and for Kentucky. They've got LSU this week, Georgia in two weeks, and we can find out just how good this Kentucky team can possibly be. And, again, I'm not saying they're going to beat Georgia, but good on them for figuring out a way to win. I think there's been Kentucky teams in the past, uh, and you know this, Ben, we talk about it. Right there with Florida, neck and neck, 
Ah, you probably lose it in the last five minutes, and and that's your ball game. Didn't do that this time. Got it done, twenty to thirteen, the win. Good Florida or, or good Kentucky Wildcats football this past weekend. What about the bad, Ben? The bad would be uh, them Florida Gators and the Texas A and M Aggies. I'm gonna tell you, Florida for everything you just said, Kevin. Florida didn't. Florida uh, dominated the football game against uh, Kentucky. Dominated the yard, yards from scrimmage. Dominated in time of possession. But you know what else they dominated? Penalties. 15 penalties for over 115 yards. A blocked field goal for a touchdown that goes against Florida. And just wasn't able to get the offense going. Texas A&M, look, talk about, uh, you know, uh, Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher, he was writing a lot of checks in the preseason, right, Kevin? That was based on the fact that you thought the Haynes Kings would be the entire, the entire uh, season. Back-to-back losses now for Texas A&M. They're, they're all out of it. You know, in the SEC West to, uh, to even go uh, to Atlanta, Arkansas last week, Mississippi State this week. So you lost to an Arkansas team that's trying to find their footing, and a Mississippi State team that only is allowed to throw the ball. That's all they do, the Mississippi State. So for me, Florida, because you couldn't find a way to get it done, and Texas A&M, look, man, you just haven't been yourself the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Texas A&M, I, I, that's my bad as well, Ben. Look, hey, you're contenders with Alabama. You're going to be the ones to to make it happen. Maybe at least push them at this point in the West. At worst, you're the third best team in the SEC. Will Rogers threw the ball 59 times against the Texas A&M defense. 59. You're saying, whoa, they must have been struggling. He completed 46 of them. 46 of 59 for 408 yards against that Texas A&M defense and three touchdowns. They ran the ball for 30 yards against Texas A&M. They were one-dimensional, and you still got beat, Texas A&M. Got beat 26-22 by Mississippi State. As Ben said, they've lost two in a row and are staring third loss in a row in the face this weekend with Alabama. It may not be pretty given the way Alabama is playing uh, seemingly week in and week out, but yes, two in a row, looking at three in a row, and this was after an offseason where, as you said numerous times on the show, Jimbo Fisher out there, uh, you know, Writing checks, left and right, just like catch me if you can. Just checks everywhere. <laughs> Unfortunately, right now some of them checks are, are coming back saying, ooh, not enough funds to cash this check. And they're about to be, oh, or three straight losses. I do not see them beating Alabama in any way this weekend. That was the bad. What about your ugly, Ben? My ugly is uh, is uh, uh, Richard Sherman haters and Tim Tebow lovers. I'm going to explain <laughs> Uh, Richard Sherman, uh, as we know, is one of the greatest uh, cornerbacks who ever played in the National Football League. He played receiver in college and actually got moved to cornerback when he was in the NFL. Uh, Richard Sherman was, I think he was valedictorian of his high school and was and was a cum laude in college at Stanford, being from Compton. And now he's a part of the Legion of Boom, and he played on Sunday. He, got, he flew out on Tuesday from Seattle. He practiced all week with a defense he didn't know, and he played – uh, he played like I want to say ninety percent of the snaps on defense uh, just uh, last night. People are mad because because uh, Richard Sherman has a job and Tim Tebow doesn't. Let me tell y'all something to you, Tim Tebow lovers out there. I, I love Tim Tebow too, but for different reasons. Stop giving me Tim Tebow's resume like he's a Christian. It's a bunch of Christians out there. He he was a Heisman Trophy winner. Okay, a lot of those. But guess what he can't do? He cannot play tight end. He can't do it. 
He was in the preseason with guys who aren't even in the NFL now, and he couldn't compete with them. So for those of you who are thinking that Tim Tebow got blackballed, you, sir, or you, ma'am, are naive. There is something <laughs> wrong with you. Tim Tebow has never missed a check in his life since he's been an adult. He walked away from the NFL, or if you want to call it, walked straight to the SEC network with his tight shirts. He is fine. Stop getting mad at a guy who was a future Hall of Famer versus a guy who just didn't pan out. So for me, the ugly is naive fans who are mad at Richard Sherman for being great at football and Tim Tebow, who is not. Leave it alone. <laughs> you are sounding ridiculous, and I am sick of hearing it. Tim Tebow thinks he can play, not because he keeps himself in shape, but because of these nonsensical fans who think he's better than what he actually is. Good luck. Yeah, my ugly this weekend is Georgia Tech. Played Clemson close, beat North yeah. Carolina. Ooh, look at this defense. Jeff Collins has got him fired up. 580 yards later against uh, Pitt, and you got blown off the field 52-21. to 21. You go, man, that was a lot. It was 42-14 to 14 at halftime. Let me say that again. That Georgia Tech defense that, quote, looked good against Clemson and North Carolina gave up 42 <laughs> in one half of football. 42 points. 580 total yards, and it could have been worse if Pat Narduzzi, I guess, was like, fellas, let's just try to get out of here. We'll try to take it easy on him. Only scored 10 in the second half and and basically tried to run the, run the game away. Unbelievable. Uh, Pitt did well, but Georgia Tech, for a team supposedly stepping in the right direction, 42 points in the first half, truly very, very ugly by that Yellow Jackets uh, defense. That's our, our, our good, bad, ugly. And, again, we, we have fun doing it every week because – Every week, somebody's going to do something awesome, and somebody's no, not so much. Well, Kevin, I mean, I, I do have a one. I do have a one B for my husband, Kevin. <laughs> the the the, uh, the the unwritten rules of football got violated. Um, the Ravens played the Broncos. Ravens beat the Broncos, but it's something that happened at the last play of the game. Everybody knows Ravens in uh they in victory formation. You expect them to kneel down, but that's not what Lamar Jackson did. Lamar Jackson took off for about. I don't know about five or six yards because after the game, Harbaugh said, I wanted to keep a streak alive. What streak? Of, average, of, of averaging over 100 yards a game. What? Wait, 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 wait. You add the insult. In, so I got my defense who's already not. We're not. All right, go kneel him. He's taking off. That Denver sideline was livid. You already beat us. Teddy Bridgewater is out for the probably for a significant amount of time. And you trying to keep a streak alive? Guess what Lamar Jackson said out of the game? I didn't really care about the streak. Uh, so I don't know what Coach talking about. Like, I just ran because they told me to run. So, Kevin, that is the that is so so basically next game, somebody's gonna come out with a football and they're gonna just throw it right in Lamar Jackson's face. Because they're gonna be like, what is going on? So yeah, the unwritten rules of football got violated. I, I do think that the streak is cool, but I think it's kind of petty, man. You wanna be in the record books for what? Get out of here. You'll be surprised, Ben. I actually don't think that's that big a deal. I mean, I, 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 me of all people, I get it. I get I'm, it. I'm just saying, Kevin. I mean, at the end of the day, you know that. I, just listen. Go to the last play of the game and just watch when the Raven, when, when Lamar Jackson take off. They like, what are you? Doing? No, what I get it. Doing? No, I get it. But I, I, I know of me of all people saying it's not that big a deal. But I look at it as like, look, you want to keep the streak alive. I think they needed like four yards or something to have the uh, hundred yards game rushing streak. Yeah, yeah, he got he got like five yards and slid. Yeah, I mean like, it's oh. it, it's a cool thing to say. Like, you know, you know, we we've seen much more egregious things in sports. At Quite honestly, won, at least they won. Like the guy that one time they needed a triple double and they hadn't lost the game, and he like got his own rebound so he could. Yeah, so I believe like, Bob hey, Sturrock did. I mean, look, we've seen egregious things in the name of streaks and record breaking. I mean, Brett Favre laid down for Michael Strahan to get a sack. 
I mean, yeah. literally just looked at him and said, fall down and touch me, you, you get the sack. I remember UConn women's basketball had a player who was set to break the all-time scoring mark for UConn women's basketball. Unfortunately, she tore her ACL. She needed like one basket or something to, to break the, the, the record. They trotted her out there, stood her under the basket, tipped the ball off. Everybody stood there while they threw the ball to her. She got the layup with nobody guarding her, checked her out of the game with the record, and then gave the other team a free two points and started the game basically over at 2-2. Two to two. We've seen egregious things happen in sports all over the place. I, I actually don't think this is that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was funny because I didn't really know what was going on. And then after, you know, Harbaugh, listen, this is one thing. Make sure that your star player understands what's going on. That way he's not contradicting what you say in the post-game press conference. Like, I don't know, when the Eagles tied and, uh, you know, uh, Donovan McNabb don't know that you can tie in the NFL. Like, wait, wait, wait. You can tie? Yes, boy, you just did it, didn't you? No, no, no. I thought you just keep going to overtime. That's called college. So, hey, Kevin, it happened. The Ravens won. Denver, Denver lost. The Denver lost their quarterback for a significant amount of time. So now you get Drew Locke, and they keep the streak alive. So there it is. We'll see. I'm, again, I'm, I'm going to see if they ha- – maybe they'll play again at some point and we see how mad everybody <laughs> is about it. What's the equivalent of a fastball to the ribs in football, if you can do it? Uh, the equivalent of a fastball to the ribs in football is basically uh, – basically he's kneeling down, right, and and the, and the, and the freaking uh, and the freaking nose tackle just fire off of that center <laughs> and the center just gets pushed back into the quarterback. And the quarterback like, what's up? Well, that's what you get for running. So – Something's going to happen next game, Kevin, because the one thing men are, and I'm just speaking about me, we are petty. We are very, <laughs> very petty people, and we hold grudges like nobody's business. So somebody in the back of their mind said, I'm going to get them for that. Hey, we got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll look at the weekend that was a wild one in the SEC when we return here on 3 and Out. Great to be here on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us as we look back. At the week that was in the SEC, Jake Roos will join us. We'll talk Georgia football coming up here in just a little bit, uh, Ben. But you obviously start there in the SEC. Utter domination by Georgia and Alabama this weekend yet again. I know uh, everybody looks at it. Maybe you didn't catch all of it and say, oh, Ole Miss put up 21. Nope, it was 35 to nothing and 42 to 7 before Ole Miss uh, finally got around to scoring some more points. And obviously Georgia 37 to nothing. That one was over in the first quarters. It was 21 nothing before you kind of got settled down in your seats good. Yeah, I mean, every, every, listen, Kevin, what I do each week when it comes to these games, I mean, I try to sum it up, you know, in one or two words, usually one word. When I, when I saw UGA and, UGA and Arkansas, Georgia and Arkansas, one word came to mind. Like you said, dominant. Georgia dominated this game from the opening ding. I mean, they didn't give up anything. I'm not giving you anything. Sam Pippen is making his return to Georgia. Nope, I don't care. You're not going to get anything with us. Deal with it. And then, and then, and then Kevin, you talk about Tennessee and Mizzou, right? I, I, wow. Tennessee put up 62 points on Mizzou. 62. I don't know where that offensive juggernaut came from in Tennessee, but they unleashed a lot of frustration on the Mizzou boys. Alabama, Alabama don't miss. Usual. Like, I don't know why people like, oh, my God. Did you see what happened last year with Alabama? Uh, you know, in this Lane Kiffin offense, the Macarel? Okay, that was last year. I mean, this this thing was over. People said they scored 21 points. In the fourth, it was 40, I think, like, 42 to, to, to 7 in the fourth quarter. Then you got USC and Troy. That's expected. Uh, you know, Kentucky, Florida, man, that, that was a stunner of the weekend. Miss, Mississippi State, Texas, and them. Wow. Vanderbilt and UConn. 
I mean, I ain't even know I ain't even know UConn had a football team. So congratulations, <laughs> Andy. You know, you got it. And the thing about Auburn LSU, epic. You watch this game. That was a game of the weekend. I know that Florida and that Kentucky did. You know, it it, it ended up being a stunner. But Bo Nix. And I know we talked to Brooks also earlier saying that that running around wouldn't work against Georgia. Well, it worked against LSU. Auburn got a, got a big win and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But, yes, uh, Kevin, the, the two dominant teams are dominant. We still don't know what's going on with these other teams like Texas A&M and the, and the Floridas. Tennessee unleashed some frustration. Auburn got a big dub. Mississippi State told Texas A&M, nope. If, our, if Arkansas could do it, we can do it. Because that's kind of what Mississippi State said, right? I think we better Mississippi, I mean, Arkansas. So if Arkansas could beat Texas A&M, let's see if we could beat them. And they did do it. So, yeah, Kevin, the SEC, real similar to the ACC, except the ACC got the SEC got two dominant teams. Everybody else, you really don't know what the hell going on right now in the SEC. Yeah, and a lot of ups and downs, people trying to figure it out. Uh, but, uh, Ben, let's look at some of those games uh, that were kind of off the radar. Tennessee dropped 62 on Missouri. Josh Heupel, 3-2, and 1-1 one one in the SEC. Missouri, 0-2 oh uh, in league play right now. Is Josh Heupel maybe ahead of schedule given the talent level in Tennessee, at least with that offense? <sighs> I mean, I don't know, Kevin. I mean, I, I I think what happens sometimes, Kevin, you know, we it's a week by week type thing, right? Like we were trying to figure out who is what and, and like like how these teams try to trying to go about uh, you know, uh, their identity. Sir a lot of these teams, Kevin, they don't really have an identity, right? So when you look at certain when you look at certain teams, you think to yourself, what is it gonna be week by week? I know outside of Georgia, right, and outside of Alabama, everybody's still kind of a question mark. It, it really, really is, but Hey, man, I give credit with credit to you. You go out there and get a big dub. I mean, I I, I do never tip my hat to you. Yeah, again, uh, Tennessee with a, uh, a win. I, I think I might have had Missouri uh, winning this game. Uh, oh, yeah, Kevin. Oh, Kevin, we, we still doing it, Kevin. I tell BJ this all the time. Why can't we let go of the past? Like, why can't we let go of what happened the week before, right? I was on the Georgia Tech bandwagon. Yeah, I jumped on it, and Pitt told me to get the hell off. No, get off this bandwagon. You don't belong here. What y'all gonna do? We finna, we finna, we finna drop a fifty burger. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. So, 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 so then when you think about the Tennessee, right, Kevin? Think about this. Tennessee, Tennessee's barometer is Florida. Kentucky's barometer is Florida. Florida's barometer is Georgia. You know what Tennessee tell Mizzou? No, we are not afraid of y'all. Eli Drinkwitz, we ain't afraid of y'all. And Kevin, sixty-two point Tennessee. Basketball they'll be scoring sixty-two, man. <laughs> that, that was a that was a that was a big time dub as we got very, very impressed by Hypel and Company. And certainly looking at uh, at Florida and Kentucky though, Ben, I know a painful subject for you, but uh a goal line stand. Kentucky gets the win over Florida first time they've won it again. You talk about a team fighting for respect. Kentucky five and oh, three and oh in the SEC. So they're almost halfway through the SEC schedule, undefeated, still not ranked. Uh, going into into last week, was that a respect getter for Kentucky last week as well? Yes, yes, and that was an eye opener for the rest of the SEC and the rest of the country. Kevin, I know that sometimes we get caught up in these usual suspects, right? As long as look, as long as everything goes to plan, the storyline stays the same, the narrative stays the same. But what happens when you shake it up? Kentucky said, "Okay, we understand that we have to beat Florida in in Lexington in a long time. We're going to make Florida play ugly. We're going to go out there and get a special team touchdown." We're going to make sure that we don't get penalties. We're not going to really move the ball on offense. We're going to have more of a team game, and they come out with the win. So, Kevin, like we said, we get caught up in the how and not the that. I don't care how you win. I care that you win, and Kentucky got it. And right now, Kevin, I know before the season they were saying that maybe Kentucky can be viable, can be viable for that second-best team in the SEC. Well, as of right now, they are the second-best team in the SEC until proven otherwise. 
Yeah, uh, and again, uh, that is uh, something that's, I think. Now, and that's the SEC East, by the way. I don't mean to. Right, mean right, to right. And, and again, we'll see that play out. I think we've seen a number of teams. We talked about it with Arkansas. We talked about it now with Kentucky. They're seeing their stock rise, and it probably will be all right up until they hit the Georgias and some of those teams like that on their schedule. But right now, Kentucky passing the test. Uh, Arkansas. Uh, you know, you kind of maybe saw that, uh, maybe not as bad, uh, losing to Georgia, but a lot of people thought maybe they end up losing uh, to Georgia. It's 37 nothing To me, Ben, the most surprising thing that happened all weekend was Texas A&M uh, losing to Mississippi State. Mississippi State did not play particularly well uh, in certain aspects of the game, but they threw 50-some-odd times, couldn't run the ball, and still figured out a way to beat Texas A&M. That was in College Station and you got beat, and obviously Jimbo Fisher, I know you got Zach Calzada, the uh, the backup quarterback, but this is a team that is slowly going down the route of Clemson, Ben. Top five, now they're in yep. the top 15, then, yep. then they lose again, now they're probably down you know, lower than that, and they got Alabama. They could go from top five to out of the top 20 in a matter of weeks, and I don't think anybody saw that coming from Jimbo Fisher's team. To me, Texas A&M, the most surprising team in a bad way uh, at this point in the season. Preseason expectations, Kevin, are a real thing, right? I mean, when everybody's expecting you to go out there, oh, who's going to be? It's always who's going to be the one to kind of knock off Alabama. It was supposed to be Texas A&M. They got the recruiting. They got the players. They got the coaches. They got the resources. They got the facilities. Who cares? That stuff don't mean the hill of beans, man. You got to go out there and get it because the one thing that people don't talk about with Texas A&M, you are replacing Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond was a great quarterback for Texas A&M. The guy had a lot of wins, a lot of big games, and replacing him was huge. When Hayne King went down, it was going to hurt that offense. So for me, Kevin, Mississippi State, give them a lot of credit, man. They're not going to just they're not going to just take their ball and go home. No, dude, we're going to win and lose our way. The air raid resides what in Stark Vegas. That's, that's where it resides at. You don't got to like it. And guess what? If you can neutralize it, it looks very, very rudimentary and simple. And if you cannot, it will give you fits for four quarters. So what they did, what they said, look, man, we're going to play the odds. Will Rogers, I don't know his usage rate, Kevin, but this boy can't do nothing but walk around with an ice pack on all day, every day, because he's going to throw that thing around. So I give Coach Leach a lot of credit. I mean, the 12th man didn't really do their job. Texas A&M, maybe they ain't as good as we thought. And Kevin, Texas A&M, they still ain't played LSU. They still ain't played Alabama. They still ain't played Ole Miss. It's gonna, it, could, it could potentially be scratching and clawing to get the six wins for a Texas A&M team that is more than underachieved at this point. Yeah, and again, how – again, we ride it week to week. I get it. How low can you go? You look at uh, what they got coming up. They got Alabama. They got at Missouri, South Carolina. They still got Auburn, Ben. Ole Miss uh, still out there, and LSU. I mean, that you could be 0-3, 0-4 in some of those games. The only one you feel good about, I guess at this point, is what, Prairie View A&M in late November, and you got South Carolina uh, in there. You feel like is a definite. Everybody else, you got to work uh, there at Texas A&M for it, to, for it to happen for you. Yeah, and if you and if you take Zanin right now, I mean, you know the one thing you could have done that 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 your that your in-state rivalry, uh, you know, uh, you know, did you know didn't do? You could have beat Arkansas. Arkansas have beat the two biggest brands in the state of Texas. They beat Texas and Texas A&M. So I think for Jimbo Fisher, you can't this notion of living off your previous reputation. Have you seen Florida State? They in shambles right now, even with a win against Syracuse this weekend. Jimbo Fisher can't live off who he used to be. It's who you are, and right now you subpar. 
You're not that you're not as good of a coach. Jameis Winston ain't running out of that locker room. You are not going undefeated. You are scratching the car to not be the worst team in the SEC West because you've already got beat by Mississippi State and Arkansas. And those are considered the best teams in the West. You still got Ole Miss, who's gonna be trying to play some revenge football. You still got LSU, still got Auburn. And there's a little team of Tuscaloosa that, you, that Jimbo Fisher wrote a check to. That check is going to come back void. It's going to bounce. Oh, my God, it's going to get up. Yeah, it's going to be an 8 o'clock game uh, coming up tonight in, <laughs> or this weekend in College Station in Alabama wow. rolling in there. Could get nuts. Uh, and I wonder if it's not competitive, if you see Alabama really lay it on them, if you hear some of the boo birds for, for Jimbo Fisher and that team because, as you said, so much of the offseason was about we're ready to step up and see if we're man enough to beat Alabama. And now you're looking at saying Missouri, South Carolina, those might be our chances to get feel-good dubs coming down the stretch here in the SEC if they don't start playing better. Really interesting stuff. we got more to come here on 3 and Out. Jake Roos will join us, Dogs HQ, on uh, on the On3 Network. He'll join us when we come back here on 3 and Out. 3 and Out. Georgia absolutely dominating Arkansas 37 uh, to nothing after a shutout win at Vanderbilt the week before. Another shutout win again this week. And uh, joining us here from Dogs HQ, part of the On3 uh, Network, Jake Roos joins us here on 3 and Out. Jake, 99 to nothing in SEC play in back-to-back weeks combined. That's that's not too shabby. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. Uh, you know, Bulldogs on a tear right now uh, really just uh, – Looking impressive, and uh, I think justifying that number two ranking uh, very, very strongly week in and week out. They'll be smart, and the guys, uh, no plans to let up, but uh, interesting to see how they move forward from here. When you look at this, when you look at this offense, and you think about the fact that people were trying to figure out how was it going to look, it seems more the same. They're trying to run the football more, kind of like throw the pass, you know, throw the, you know, I mean, throw the ball a little bit just for balance. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, in, in this offense, got to be uh you know a, a really uh a, it's got to be a big focus for those guys to uh continue to develop both the run and the pass game I, I you know that's been a focus in each week uh the rushing total increased every uh, has increased every week be interesting to see if they can do that against auburn but um you know overall i think that uh georgia's created a really balanced attack and i think that that's really benefiting them because opponents are having to account for both the rush and the pass uh, it's, it's a pick-your-poison situation. Uh, even with Stetson Bennett out there, I, I know that he probably caught some flack this week. But, uh, you know, th- it's a situation for those guys where they've got the capability to do it on both ends. Yeah, you mentioned Stetson This game was out of control early, but uh, that was an early talking point. JT Daniels came out for warm-ups, then went back in and obviously did not play uh, on Saturday. Where, where should Georgia fans be concerned about that? Because I know – didn't didn't play a whole lot against UAB. Missed some time. Uh, didn't play against Vanderbilt. Did not play against Arkansas. So a guy that's obviously there to be the guy to get him there to the national championship has missed uh, parts of what three ball games, or if not all of them here uh, so far. And obviously, it's still challenging portion of the schedule upcoming with no real firm diagnosis on when he's going to be healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be a concern for you, I think. I mean, uh, you know, JT is a uh, key part of, of all of this. I think. Um, you know, Stetson's uh, filled in admirably, certainly, but, you know, JT, you feel like it's that guy who can kind of take you that, that further step. So, um, you know, I, I think that with this injury, unfortunately for Georgia and Georgia fans, it's just one that you have to rest. It's an opportunity where you have to uh, take time, and, and there's not really anything you can do for it aside from that. You've got to let it kind of naturally heal itself and, and uh, get it feeling better. So, 
you know, it, it is a concern. I, I think that if you got a concern with this Georgia team right now, it's probably the health of JT Daniels. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle that one moving forward. Is Stetson good enough to take him there? Because, I mean, you have to look You have to look like, you know, healthy bodies have to matter. So right now you're dealing with oblique, which is one of those injuries that's very, very tough to kind of analyze for JT Daniels. Is Stetson Bennett, even with this great defense, in a position to take Georgia back to the promised land? That's the million-dollar question, uh, and I don't have an answer for it. I, I, I think I think yes. Uh, you know, he can play like he did against UAB, but – you know, you've seen some mixed bag performances from him, and I think that that has to be a big concern if you're if you're Georgia. Um, you know, I, I think it's got to be about steadying that, uh, keeping the run game solid, and, and making sure that you can enforce your will there, and then that allow allowing that to open up the passing game, giving Stetson the opportunities. Uh, but certainly, that is a big concern, and and I, I think uh, it, it's justifiable. So. Jake, on the other side, this Georgia defense, unbelievable. I think, what, 23 points uh, given up all season long, back-to-back shutouts. Uh, do you expect them to have an, an off game at some point, or is this a defense that's just been so good uh, that you think this this kind of stuff is going to carry the entirety of the season? I think there's a real possibility it can continue to carry, mostly because of the depth in this defense. I mean, you know, you might run into an injury concern, and, but it's not a situation of uh, JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett. I mean, you know, it doesn't feel like there's some sort of fall-off uh, with, with the guys that are behind the starters. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, an, an off game is something that everybody's going to run into. They'll probably have one over the course of this season. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think that they've shown a great deal of composure, uh, a great deal of ability to make the play. Uh, that's nothing I'm too concerned about right now. The defense, in my opinion, the least of Georgia's worries for sure. With the great defenses that's, that's, come, that's come through Georgia, and it's been some great ones. I mean, from the early 2000s to the mid-2000s, even now, what do you rank this defense? I know it's still early. They still got some uh, big-time matchups coming up, even starting this weekend. But what, what, where do you rank this defense, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the realm of Georgia defenses as a whole? It, it's certainly trending toward being one of the best all time. Uh, you know, if they're able to continue this trajectory, they're easily going to be able to find themselves in that category. But, uh, you know, five games into the season, uh, you know, I, it's, they may be the greatest defense ever in five games into the season, but it's about continuing that, making sure that they're able to follow that through and put that, that performance on the field week in and week out. Uh, you know, if they're able to do that, then uh, sky's the limit, certainly. But, um, you know, I, I think to uh, get into ranking, uh, ranking them beyond five weeks is uh, uh, maybe putting a little the horse before the, the cart before the horse, if you will. Jake Roos joining us here on 3 and Out, and you talk about tests. Uh, this one will be a, a road test. I, again, I don't know if Vanderbilt is a huge road test uh, for anybody uh, right now. You play Clemson at a neutral site. This is the first kind of true hostile road game environment that Georgia's going to face. How do you think uh, they handled that? We saw Tennessee, or excuse me, Alabama go to Florida a couple weeks ago and maybe not play their best uh, ball game in a hostile environment. How do you think Georgia fares on the Auburn team and the Auburn fan base that's certainly going to be fired up after beating LSU in Death Valley? Yeah, i got to be a concern, no question about it. I mean, when you're talking about uh, hostile environments, uh, there are a few that, that match Jordan Air. So uh, I, this, is a, a, this is going to be a, a true test for them. I think it's about Georgia maintaining that composure that we've seen. Uh, that's something Kirby Smart and these guys have really harped on and really preached throughout this season. Um, you know, and I, I think they're more than up for it. I, I don't know that the, the crowd noise is going to be a big concern. I don't think that it's going to be an issue. Uh, I think that they're going to be up for the test. But 
uh, it's definitely going to be one to watch because, uh, it, like I said, Jordan Hare, uh, not, not a more hostile environment in the SEC, in my opinion. Why, why are the games so crazy, you know, up there in Auburn? I mean, you see some freaky plays and crazy type games. Is it is it just because the, the – the, uh, you know, uh, the legacy of this of this rival is just when they go to Auburn, just crazy things seem to happen sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, it's just it's hard to really pinpoint what it is. Uh, you know, everybody uh, just kind of, uh, I don't know, falls victim to it to, to some degree. But, you know, luckily for Georgia, they've fared pretty well. That's a, It's an interesting series in that regard because they've kind of exchanged blows, flipped it over uh, each side. Uh, you know, Auburn with maybe a little bit more success in Athens, Georgia with a little bit more success in Auburn. So, um, you know, I think that that bodes well for them. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's definitely uh, you know some <clears throat> we're into we're into the Halloween month, and uh, there's there's do seem to be some spirits lurking around uh, Pat Dye Field. There's no question about that. Jake, I know in the expanded SEC, you can't keep all the traditions uh, alive, and certainly when Oklahoma and in uh, in uh, Texas come in, it's, you're going to lose some of that uh, as well. But does this feel weird? playing Auburn early in October right now? I know you've covered Georgia a while. Does this kind of seem strange to have this game on the schedule already? Yeah, it, it does to me for sure. I mean, you know, uh, going to Georgia and, and kind of coming up with it being, a, you know, a later season matchup, you know, I, I think that uh, it is. I, it's very strange. But, um, you know, I think that that could be advantageous for Georgia. Auburn looking to get their footing back under them, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, really established themselves, you know, number 19 team in the nation, but they've got a lot of question marks. So, uh, you know, it feels like Georgia might catch them when they're a little bit susceptible. That would be great news for the Bulldogs, certainly. Kirby Smart, I mean, has almost seemingly done it all, you know, in his short career at Georgia. I mean, coming up a little bit short in the national championship, not too many years removed. But how has his poise been? I know you talk about the poise of this defense, the poise of this team. He seems to be a lot more poised, and not, and, and he's never been the type of guy to look down the line and look past any opponent. No, no question about that. I mean, he, he's a guy who is able to uh, maintain that, and I think that you're seeing that the team take on that, uh, take on that personality itself. I mean, uh, like you said, it's about poise. It's about, uh, you know, composure. It's about being able to, uh, you know, bounce back. I mean, look, we've seen Kirby be less than composed on the sidelines, certainly. But, you know, in meetings and in the room, you know, he's a guy who brings fire and he brings energy. But at the same time, it's all calculated. It's all uh, with purpose. And I, I think that that's something that uh, this team has really taken on as its own identity as well. Uh, kudos to him for being able to impart that. Jay Cruz, Dogs HQ, part of the On3 Network, our guest here on 3 and Out. Jake, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And Georgia and Auburn coming up this weekend after a huge win over uh, Arkansas. Auburn gets a uh, huge win over LSU. And, Ben, this is uh, what, you know, when I when you think about SEC football, Georgia and Auburn, uh, you think about that. Both teams want to be physical. Traditionally, both teams want to run the football. Should be a huge mashup. Obviously, three thirty that national CBS game uh, this weekend between those two opponents. I mean, Auburn saw what happened. To, uh, you know, Arkansas this week. They saw all the hype, right? They saw the top ten matchup, Kevin, and then they kicked the ball off. Much to do about nothing. Auburn understands they're going to have to play their best game, not because of the current game, but because of who they're going up against. Georgia is very, very, you know, quickly becoming a team that nobody wants to play. You have to play them if you're on the schedule, and the only person looking forward to it is the coach. Them players like, man, let's hurry up and get the hell out of here. These dudes will be the hell out of us. And, got, <laughs> and it's only the first quarter. So I expect it to be a competitive game, Kevin. But then again, I expect every game to be competitive because I have nothing to do with the outcome of it. Bo Nick's going to have to have to put on one of his 
you know, uh, you know, his freshman year, uh, you know, type performances like he did in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. Because if Georgia's going to get beat, it's going to have to be on the road in a hostile environment and a team finding a way to stay in the game. And I'm talking about the opposing teams. I'm talking about the offense because I think that if Auburn can put some points on the board, which we haven't seen yet against the Georgia defense, it, it might it might end up being a better game than we give it credit for. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. It's 3 and Out. Good to have you here 3 and Out on this Monday. Kevin and Ben, BJ will be back with us tomorrow on the show. MLB playoffs getting ready to start uh, tomorrow. Ben, we know the Braves are in. They will not play until Friday against the Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee. But how about this? 162 games. Uh, ben comes down to the Giants won 107, and the Dodgers won 106. That was, that was historically good. The Dodgers, because of that, are in the wild card, and they will play St. Louis, who won 90 games. So a team with 90 wins or potentially a team with 106 wins could be gone after just one game. I think they play that one on Wednesday. The Braves won 88 they're good. They're playing the best of five. They're against Milwaukee. You look over in the American League, the Yankees and the Red Sox playing each other in a one-game elimination to move into uh, the postseason. Just truly unbelievable uh, how we saw some of those races fin- uh, finish up. Again, Toronto, 91 wins, didn't make the playoffs. Normally, 91 wins, uh, enough to get you there. It wasn't here for the Blue Jays in 2021, but setting up to be a truly uh, epic MLB postseason where you have some really, really good all-time teams that could be eliminated uh, here with with one game. Red Sox-Yankees and certainly the Dodgers with 106 wins. That is historically good to win that many games, and they could be gone if they play a bad game on Wednesday. So the defending world champions might be out because of the Cardinals and the evil empire has to go up against the team that it cannot stand the most in, in Boston Red Sox. Kevin, this is why you love baseball, right? Like life is the fair. I mean, the Dodgers are getting punished for being too good of a team, too good of a team winning, winning more games than anybody because they might they get one game to prove their worth. And does it get better, you know, than the evil empire in Boston? I mean, I'm not a fan of either, by the way. But I, but if I got to see somebody lose, I'd rather be them Yankees because I don't want to hear. Yes, the Yankees are good for baseball. They're just not good for my psyche. Cannot stand them. Get on my nerves. Get sick of them. They spend. They don't care about. They don't care about. The, uh, they don't care about. You know, uh, staying within the lines and the confines of spending money, Kevin. If they, if if they can give it to them, they gonna find a way to give it to them. They got. They got. You know, Carlos Stan. They got Judge. I get sick of them. So Boston, <laughs> do what you're supposed to do. Eliminate the evil empire because I don't want Georgia fans wearing Yankees hats for the rest of the postseason. They get on my nerves too. Yeah, Let's again, I, I'm not big on the Yankees, and so we'll see if they get it done. But a one-game playoff with the Red Sox, man, that's about all you could uh, you could wish for there uh, in that series. I do know Adam Wainwright going to start the one-game playoff for the Cardinals. So uh, Cardinals and Dodgers out there. Braves will play on uh, Friday against the Milwaukee Brewers. Don't know the, the first pitch time uh, there yet. But, uh, but, Ben, you talk about just the unbelievable stats, and here's one that we can celebrate now that the season is over. The Mets, I heard this this weekend, the Mets were in first place in the National League East for 103 days. That is the longest stretch a team has been in first place in Major League Baseball and then ultimately finished under 500. So they were in first place for 103 days and not only did not make the playoffs, 
They finished below 500 uh, on the season and just announced today that they're not going to bring back uh, their manager. So the overhaul has begun for the Mets team, who at one point looked like almost a shoe-in to make the uh, the MLB playoffs. They even celebrated, they practiced celebrating the World Series win in spring training. Uh, yeah, that's their problem. I mean, and what are they doing that for? At the end of the day, Kevin, they ran out of gas, right? I mean, this. I mean, baseball is a marathon. It's, it's who, it's who can, it's who can uh, find a way to find that momentum late in the season and maintain that momentum. They got, they were too, they were too good, uh, Kevin, for too, you know, uh, too fast, and they wasn't able to sustain it. I'm never ever gonna. Listen, there is no Subway Series in New York. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the Yankees. The Mets are the little brothers, you know. I mean, and that's just how it go. Just like in basketball, it's Brooklyn. And the Knicks are just a good franchise. That's it. I mean, I don't want to hear about it. So the Braves, they did what they're supposed to do. They caught the Mets. The Phillies couldn't catch them. Now the Braves are in. The Mets are the Mets are doing a fire sale. If you want them, we got them. Come get them. We're trying to get rid of everybody. <laughs> but, hey, Kevin, that's what BJ says. Pitching wins. Well, we got the fourth best closer in the game. Is that a conference <laughs> thing? I'm just saying. Numbers don't lie. Numbers can lie, and numbers can be very, very deceiving. Yeah, the closer. Yeah, Will Smith fourth, fourth most saves in in baseball. But I do think the guys that are going to be starting the game, Charlie Morton, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, are very, very good. You feel comfortable and confident with that? I know the Brewers have a very good starting rotation as well, but the Braves. I'll put those three guys up against just about anybody right now in baseball. And again, the Braves and Brewers will play game one on Friday. So looking forward to uh, to seeing Major League Baseball playoffs get started. We'll have those wild card games tomorrow and Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow, three and out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.